Welcome into the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. I want you to listen to a trailer real quick about a great new movie that's out there, a movie I got the privilege to watch this weekend. Here it is. Mr. Miranda. A girl was grabbed on 7th Street on Saturday night, right around the same time that you got out of work. Can you describe the man? Number one looks like him. Tell me everything. And don't leave anything out. I'm testifying. Are you sure about this? All rise. I don't want to see you become damaged goods. It's not just for me. The prosecution calls Patricia Ann Shumway. What about the next girl? I promise I'm going to put this guy in jail for a long time. The jury has found you guilty as charged. Hello, Ernest. John Flynn. Can you get me out of here? I believe I can. Aren't you going to ask me if I'm guilty? I'm far more interested in why you signed that confession. I know what you're trying to do. A man's as guilty as sin. The issue is whether this defendant's confession should have been allowed in evidence. It was coercion, plain and simple. There was not an attorney present. Don't make him the face of your crusade. What about Miranda's victim? I really don't care. Objection, Your Honor. Your Honor, you must stop this. You must stop this now. The cases before us raise questions. What if they say he's not guilty? The Supreme Court might make us retry him. The whole world wants nothing but to take from us. Miranda did not request counsel. Therefore, we reverse. Being locked away is the only thing that lets me sleep at night. Our justice system has afforded you every privilege, every protection. Hey! This is a courtesy not extended to your victim. I'm excited to tell you about this new movie, folks. It's called Miranda's Victim. And it has to do with the case that surrounds the Miranda warning or the Miranda rights that we are familiar with. Every time you're arrested, or I shouldn't say most people in our, our audience haven't been arrested, but when you're arrested, you're given your Miranda rights. And of course, there's a, a case that surrounds that. Our guest today is George Kolber. He is the producer and the screenwriter of this movie, Miranda's Victim, which folks, this, this uh, movie is quite good. And I encourage you to see it. It comes out this Friday, October 6th. It's available in theaters and on video on demand. Some of the stars in this movie, Abigail Breslin, Ryan Phillippe, Luke Wilson, a great cast, Andy Garcia, lots of great actors in this movie. Uh, the story is really, really good. And and again, it's it's a true story. It's, it's, it's compelling and it, it makes you think. It makes you think about how justice was formed in this country how victims' rights are, are formed in this country and the rights of the actual accused are formed in this country. I want to bring in our guest now, producer and screenwriter, George Colbert. George, thank you so much for being on the program today on True Crime Tuesday. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. I, I will tell you that, you know, there was a lot of collaboration in the in the screenwriting, but the, the story is uh, really by me. And I also did produce this, just for clarification, that's all. Yeah. Tell me why... 
why in this day and age do we go back and review Miranda rights? You would think that Miranda rights should be such a, a standard thing when it comes to arrests. And, and why review the, the origin of Miranda rights in, in this day and age? Well, I don't know. You know we, we have to compare. I think the thing that was very compelling about this was, you know, this is a matter of social rights uh, and uh, sort of against violence, sexual violence. And, um, you know, I tried to tell the viewer, I said that, you know, the social rights that we have today, the Miranda warning that you read today, um, you know, came at a cost to somebody. Mm -hmm. And who was that person? And, you know, I, I was just trying to dig in. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is I was, I was just sitting where I am right now. Um, and uh, uh, it was during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and I uh, had nothing to do, no place to go. Uh, it was cold. Uh, you know, uh, Prospect looked in. It was a very depressing time for pretty much everybody. Uh, and I'm sitting at my computer. I think I'm looking for uh, face masks and toilet paper. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, and the TV's on in the background and I hear somebody reading their Miranda warnings. And I said, you know, listen, let me understand something here. I had a friend that told me he was an attorney and he worked on the Miranda case in Arizona. He represented Arizona, who was, uh, you know, and uh, brought the case. Well, they brought the case to uh, Miranda in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is I said, let me see what happened to Lou. And I started looking at the U.S. Supreme Court decision uh, and I saw no mention of Lou. But I started looking at the decision. I said, well, let me see. Maybe Lou actually worked uh, in the uh, Arizona Supreme Court rather than the U.S. Supreme Court. So I started going backwards. Uh, I never found Lou. But the truth of the matter is I started to uncover this case. I said, who is Miranda? Uh, and Miranda is not a good guy. I mean, here we have a law named after Miranda, but who is he? Mm -hmm. And Miranda was a uh, got a dishonorable discharge from the military. He was a, a violent sexual assaulter, repeat offender. Uh, he stole cars. He kidnapped people at night point, tied them up. He robbed them. You know, I said, whoa, wait a second. Nobody seems to know this. And, and I think this is important that people really understand who he is. So we started going back and further and looking into him. And then I said, well, you know, there's a strange irony here uh, in the manner in which he died which I don't want to give away just right, yet, right. frankly. But, yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I said, this story needs to be told. And then, uh, as I said, it was during the pandemic uh, and we're all sitting at our computers doing something and you needed something to do. Uh, and um, I contacted my niece who is also sitting by her computer and she's got a doctorate in chemistry. So I know she knew how to research. So the two of us started researching together. And we go back and we dig up the Phoenix Police Department's police, the initial police report. And from that, we're able to look at the all the different reports that happened. And we identified who the victim was in, in this thing. And Patricia, uh, she prefers to be called Trish, yep. um, it was, you know, uh, 
kidnapped at knife point uh, on her way home from work. She was a kid. She was, you know, high school age. And um, and so it was sad that I said, what happened to her? And so she went ahead and uh, she was not only kidnapped, I mean, she was tied up, thrown in the back of a packer, driven for 20 minutes into a desert where she was uh, assaulted. Mm -hmm. And then she came home from the desert and, and Miranda just threw her out onto the street uh, when he when she got home. And um, and so unfortunately or fortunately, they didn't believe her when she reported it to the police. Uh, you know, police were very skeptical. It was very late at night. Mom thought that, well, maybe she was out with the boy and didn't want to admit it. You know, but she she you know, she was really very emotionally distraught. Uh, the police uh, the police brought her in for questioning. They gave her to a medical examiner for questioning, uh, and they gave her to a polygrapher for questioning. And this young kid went through an awful lot to tell her story repeatedly. All right. While she was under the strain of just remembering what just happened to her. And, uh, so, uh, in any event, the police did, realized that there were other similar assaults at the same time yes and so they did begin to believe her and uh and then this prosecutor Toroff especially um decided that uh he was going to bring charges against miranda now and, i i want to i want to go through this with a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb here george and, and and here's why because there's some nuances here that are are very important that I want our, our, our listening audience to kind of glom onto and, and maybe appreciate a little bit more. With Trisha here, and, and you, you, you bring this out brilliantly in the film, the, the fact that she comes from such a conservative background and the, the fact that there is such shame that comes upon her from her family. Um, when, when, when this is is put upon her by by Miranda, this this uh, this rape and and in this, you know, I mean, she, she as it is, you know, these crimes that are put upon victims are are a burden as it is. But it seems like it's such an extreme burden to her in her life. You know, if if this isn't put upon her, if this famous case isn't put upon her, um really is it, Trish is probably going to live a regular life, uh, you know, un, unimpeded, I guess is, is the word I want to use here, George. And, and things, things will be average. Is that, is that safe to say in her life? Oh, I, 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 no doubt. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Well, I, I think we have to throw ourselves back into 1963 Phoenix. I mm -hmm. mean, this was a, a different time and a different place and, and values were looked upon differently. Uh, she walked home uh, from the bus stop and she felt safe. Yeah. 
Right. And this is Phoenix. It's not, you know, it, it's a great town to live in. And, uh, you know, but it, it was very normal. And, yeah, you know, she had aspirations uh, of being a, a beautician. Uh, she had aspirations of having a family uh, nearby. Uh, and uh, just like anybody else, uh, looking for a great husband and, uh, you know, raising a family. That's probably what would have happened right. uh, were it not for this particular event that took place that traumatized her. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, sadly, uh, you know, she was put in a position where she had to uh, just forget it. You know, at, at the time, you have no choice uh, because women weren't believed. All right. And her mother uh, and I know you saw the movie, but mm -hmm. her mother was trying to be very protective of her and keeping it a secret uh, was the best way she knew that Trish could be protected because, you know, you couldn't find a person to marry if you were tainted, you know. So, right. uh, yeah, but she she had all intentions. And why not? And in today's culture, George, I mean, we're in a culture where although it's tough to report something like a rape, it's not unusual to report a rape. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's encouraged to be brave, to get out there, to report that, because if we report it, it can, it, we can catch that person, you know, we can get justice for you. It's, it's easy, easier to do. We have DNA these days. Uh, it's easier to catch someone and, and get you your justice. In those days, there's no DNA. It's your word against theirs. And as you pointed out eloquently, the woman was not to be believed. I mean, they really put her through the ringer. And the, the man in the case was, uh, let's just say, was a little more believed than the woman in this case. Is that fair to say? Well, initially, they didn't believe her. Uh, and they didn't know who he was. So, uh, but, you know, listen, you walk home late at night and you're a woman, maybe you have a short skirt on or something like that. You're asking for it, um, you know, and uh, some judges looked at it that way. You know, you provoked them. You, you, you know, th this is certainly a different day today when you can say no is no. You know, we, we had a, an interesting we were d debating on the subtitle for Miranda's victim. And um, one of the ones that we played around was with uh, before me too, there was Trish. And uh, so, uh, you know, we, we really appreciate, you know, she was really like the first person to speak out for me too, way before it was, you know, fashionable to use the term me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she was going home. She's an innocent kid. And uh, how does a woman ever forget any of that? Right. I will tell you, we talk about today and certainly, you know, one of the things we're very much involved with is uh, the rain, you know, uh, victims assault hotline. You know, rain yeah. stands for rape, abuse, incest, national network, where they provide 100 number. And we are hoping that one of the things that happens as a result of this is that more women call because there's a whole national support network. But still, you know, I was just talking to the president of Rain, and uh, and we agree a lot of women just don't want to bother. The important thing is if you do bother that person that you're turning in, chances are 
he's going to be a repeat offender. So uh, it's not like, you know, uh, you know, it, it's probably the same people over and over again once they get away with it. So, um, you know, it is important that people and I think we, we make that pretty clear at the end of the movie that that it's important that you call in. It is very important. Uh, and, and as you put it, you know, the, there are a lot of repeat offenders out there and, and it takes the bravery of one to stop many. You know, and to, to stop many incidents, to stop many incidents, to stop many offenders, to stop the cycle of violence. Um, and sometimes I think uh, victims feel like they're all alone in this world. They feel like if if their voice comes out, that there's no one there to to hear them, to to be in their corner or to to help support them. And that's truly not the case, at least these days. In those days, yes. In 1963, most definitely. Um, I was surprised in in this case, uh, Anne is is Trisha's sister. Um, Anne was incredibly supportive for the time. And I'm wondering if you you can speak on that for a moment. What was it about Anne and her character that that she was incredibly ahead of the time that she could be that forethinking and be there for Trisha at that time. You know, when I, when I talk to Trish, she talks about how incredible Anne was, um, uh, you know, listen, I think women of all times either know somebody that was close to them or they themselves were, uh, you know, were abused. And so they could identify it. I also think that, uh, you know, uh, Trisha's mom was abused, but they dealt with it in different ways. Trisha's mom, you know, it was long before Trish was born, and she just did not want Trish to go through the suffering that she did of disbelief and so forth. Don't report it to the police. Don't do anything because nothing good can come of it. And maybe you won't get a job and maybe you won't get a husband. All right. And on the other hand, was very close, emotionally tied to Trish every single day, uh, loved her dearly. And she felt the emotion that the outrage that Trish felt and she shared it. So she took an opposing point of view in the family and Trish finds herself stuck between the two positions, one that knows it's important to get the information out and put this man away. And the other one who says, you know, you, you can't, you got to move on with your life because you cannot undo it. And, um, and so, and loved her, you know, 20, you know, I dug up when we were doing research, I dug up um, uh, an article uh, on the 25th anniversary of the Miranda ruling that Anne wrote to the newspaper and talked about how unjust uh, the Miranda rule was. And she never mentioned the names, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the pain that her sister suffered. And, you know, up until then, and even then, it, nobody really knew <laughs> who Trish was. And mm-hmm. uh, she did, actually I spoke to Trish about that, and she didn't even know the article was written. So Really? Interesting. I, you know, when you see the push and pull of victim and perpetrator in this story, and and you wonder what's fair and how's fair according to the scales of justice, you look at the pain that's inflicted versus what's fair for the offender. 
and you look at it yourself, George, from the, from the, I'll just say from the, 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 the perspective of order, from the perspective of having to, to put this on, on celluloid. It's that such a thing. I don't know if celluloid such a thing, but actually well, it was. <laughs> yeah, in this case it was. In this case it was. Um, when do you take? Can you take uh, a, a, an impartial perspective here? Can you can you look at all these characters and say, well, I can I can I can step back and see in this story why there needs to be. There needs to be a protection for the perpetrator, yet at the same time, I need to feel empathy for the victim. Oh, no doubt. Uh, and, and and I think that's what we try to do in the in the movie. Let you decide for yourself which is more important. You know, uh, you know the price that she paid. You know, you know for sexual assault, or was the right itself that was given Miranda right, you know, uh, that we all know, uh, was that more important? Um, I can tell you, first of all, that, and Trish and I have discussed this at length and her family and I discussed it well. And, and I think the thing that they find offensive is not the right. All right. It's the civil right. They, they think that it's a good law. Trish, especially mm-hmm. she says the right thing. She says, it's just named after a bad person. She goes, should not be named that. Why should it be named Miranda? Usually you think the Miranda would be the victim. But yeah. here, uh, you know, the, that that's in fact not the case. And uh, so, uh, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. When you first mention Miranda, all right, they think of one of two things. It's either a woman's name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah. they don't make the connection, unless you're a lawyer. And then, and then, and then um, or, you know, Miranda must be the victim because they have a law named after him. So uh, that's it. But I think most people come away realizing that uh, the right is a good right and um, and one should happen. And how that happened is sort of extraordinary. I mean, um, uh, it was a 5 4 decision in the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. And um, the one thing that drew me to all of this is all the different characters, true characters, and we captured, I'm confident we captured them in the correct light. Um, Earl Warren was the chief justice. Mm -hmm. And Earl Warren was uh, a right-leaning justice. He was appointed by Eisenhower. And Earl Warren was the running mate to Dewey. And if you remember, it was uh, Dewey Warren when when uh, Truman was holding up the, the paper of the Chicago Sun Tribune. It's a Dewey wins. Yeah. Well, it would have been Dewey and Warren wins. So uh, Warren Warren was a um, uh, was the governor of California. And just before that. He was very influential in interring innocent Japanese just because they were Japanese during World War II. So uh, here is a man, and and it seems out of character, uh, that all of a sudden he's now the Supreme Court justice. uh, And um, there's a lot of people criticizing Earl Warren. They're they're saying, you know, uh, this decision... Uh, was going against what Nixon and Goldwater wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They were law and order. Yeah, actually, the, the term law and order comes from Goldwater uh, when he was running for president. But um, uh, so Earl Warren, 
you know, all of a sudden went from the left to, I mean, from the right to the left. Uh, and, um, and he wrote the language in his opinion that, uh, that we embrace today. You have the right to remain silent. All right. And you have the right to an attorney. So, uh, that language he embraced, not law, by the way. It's a right. Laws can only be passed by Congress. So Earl Warren was they tried to impeach Earl Warren after this. Uh, and uh, interesting. It's interesting that we, we just so have so many characters uh, that I believe we accurately portrayed. Uh, yeah. you know, John Flynn was the uh, attorney that represented Miranda. You know, uh, he got he's got his original uh, trial overturned. Uh, his original conviction, excuse me, overturned. Uh, and amazing. I mean, uh, John Flynn was hired by the ACLU. Yep. Uh, and he was uh, incredibly, he spoke in front of this, argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, I think more than any other attorney up until that point in time. Uh, he was known to get kidnappers off. Um, you know, so uh, it was great. To, I said, the, 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 the thing that in this movie that I'm proud of is the fact that I think we did a great job in capturing the true characters, the true aura of the characters. I, I really think that when you learn about these characters, and there's really so much more to tell that we couldn't tell in the movie that, um, you know, uh, you'll be, you know, you'll be impressed. You should watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, mo most definitely. And and we'll uh, we'll uh, go to break now. But but let's remind people, uh, Miranda's victim comes out this Friday, October sixth, and it's on video, a uh, video on demand, also released in theaters. Um, and we'll have a link in the description of this program, so you can uh, go get that video on demand if you choose to watch that at home. Uh, again, folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of those things you wish you would have been able to put in the film george i because I, I, i'm I'm, in, I'm interested to know what those things are uh we'll talk a little bit about the miranda warning uh some of the things that um are in the miranda warning and i want to ask the question here george are there some things that maybe you learned in your research that were left out of the miranda warning that that maybe there were some things that potentially weren't in the Miranda warning. Did you come across that in your research? Um, and some other things. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Ernesto Miranda himself. Why was he not such a great guy? We, we alluded to it earlier in the conversation, but we'll get more into Ernesto Miranda as well when we come back. Again, um, Miranda's victim comes out this Friday, October 6th. It's available in theaters and on video on demand. Uh, we will have a link in the description of this program. George Colbert is our guest. He is the producer and screenwriter of Miranda's Victim. When we come back, what wasn't in the film that George would have liked to have potentially put in? We'll talk about it when we come back next on True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the Best in True Crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. We're talking about Miranda's Victim, brand new film that's out there. Regarding the Miranda warning and Miranda rights, our guest is George Colber. He is the producer and screenwriter of the film, which is out in theaters and video on demand coming this Friday, October 6th. That has such stars as Abigail Breslin, Ryan Philippi, Luke Wilson, and many, many more. George, 
you mentioned before the break, there were some things potentially that you would have loved to put in the film, but you left out. I'm curious as to what these things are. I, I, you know, one of the things I love about movies is, is director's cuts because there's, there's always some interesting little tidbits that they might potentially leave out for, for reasons that whether it's timing, they, they feel that maybe they need to bring it in at a certain time. Maybe it's eh, maybe it didn't just feel right or it didn't fit the flow of the movie, so they took it out. But sometimes there's some juicy scenes in there that would have made it such either such a a more interesting movie or or maybe that scene would have changed the entire flow of the movie. What what was in this movie that you decided to leave out? Well, you know, th- there's a couple of things that first of all, I think the rule was that we we needed to get it down to two hours. Okay, <laughs> so sure. I'm looking at epic things for that within three hours, and I said, no, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But but um, th- there were some intriguing things. Uh, you know, the first judge in the first trial, they wanted to get an attorney for Miranda, uh, and they got an attorney for trial, which was required even at that time by law. But uh, the the irony was that the judge was having a problem finding an attorney uh, because the public defenders at that time were on strike. And, uh, you know, and they were only getting like fifty dollars a case (laughs) and a case. But most of those cases plead out. You know, uh, the 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 reality is that uh, at the time, boom, plead the case. If a guy says he's guilty. That's it. Get it over with. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. You don't need a judge. You don't need a jury. You don't need, you know, to waste a lot of resources. Uh, and, uh, and it gets over with. And why not? Because if a man confesses voluntarily, he wasn't beat. Miranda wasn't beaten anyway. Yeah. Why not just get it all over with? And, and that was, you know, the underlying, uh, issue at the time. The prosecutor that represented Arizona in front of the Supreme Court, his name was, I think it was Gary Nelson. I know it's Nelson. Um, and uh, he was the youngest. He was out of law school for two years. Okay. All right. And he was the youngest person to ever argue in front of the Supreme Court. And the the interesting thing about that is why would they pick such a young person to represent this uh, in such an important case? Well, and also, why not choose Sandra Day O'Connor, who's who worked down the hall, yeah. and a woman on top of that, yeah. but women did not appear at the time. So I would have liked to have made an issue with that. But 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 Nelson himself was interesting. He was so young. They picked him because the family was very political. They wanted him to be the next attorney general, and they thought that this was a slam dunk case ah. and how wrong they were uh, about that. And the the ultimate irony is that in spite of losing, uh, he uh, went on to become attorney general uh, and then he was impeached. Uh, so <laughs> he, I think he was found guilty and uh, innocent at trial later, years later. But I mean, these are like little stories. You know, we talked about Earl Warren, who interred uh, Japanese during World War Two. Yeah. Uh, there are just so many rich characters. Carol Cooley just died. He's the detective on this that mm-hmm. got Miranda to testify. Uh, and uh, you could go and find, he did some interviews, uh, you know, uh, over the years. Uh, but he himself was such an interesting character. Uh, and, and prosecutor talked 
I, I spoke to his family, actually. He was really compact. He was very passionate about putting Miranda away. Uh, I think we captured a lot of that, but, you know, uh, obviously uh, a lot had to get on a cutting room floor because of uh, time constraints. So, Yeah, Cooley comes across as very charismatic. That is a good, is a good way of putting it, uh, especially during the interview process with, with Ernesto um, Miranda. He, he, he comes across almost magician-like in, in, in yeah. interview segments where he's, you see, you see, he's waving one hand in front of Ernesto, and over here, he's doing sleight of hand, uh, yeah. and almost, you know, manipulating the interview to where he wants to take it. Enrique Marciano did such a great job. You watch his facial expressions and his hand gestures, and, and I've got to tell you something. Uh, I, you know, I'm very proud. Uh, and I hope he is too of the work that he did. He should be. It, it's it's a very good performance, um, and it, it really brings across the passion which the police had to to get the con- conviction um, of of uh, Miranda. Um, it, it's it's a very interesting tale in that you could tell that they were. He comes across at first skeptical, and then he buys in. That that Miranda was the the suspect they were looking for for the rape, and then he really goes after it. You know, he really goes after Miranda, and when he's in and he buys in, he he's a hundred percent in, and and gets gets his man, so to speak. Um, the the one question I had when it came to Miranda's first lawyer, and and it's 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 an interesting. It's an interesting, and, and I understand for time's sake, you, you you have to kind of condense things down. But but there's a, a sequence between the prosecuting attorney and Miranda's lawyer where he they go back and forth, and they're talking about well, you could have you could have plead out, and they're talking, you know, they're they're kind of doing that explanation. You could have plead out. Well, you could have given the offer. And they go back and forth. Was there an? A, a, they kind of make it seem like there was an attempt there to, to oh, absolutely plea out. Well, so, so you know, uh, and Andy Garcia did such a brilliant job. Yes, of playing Alvin Moore, uh, the first attorney. And mm-hmm. understand, the first attorney was really a civil attorney because, as I said earlier, you know, the public defenders were all on strike. Yeah. He had he had little criminal um, involvement out in California, but he was really a civil attorney at the time. Uh, and Alvin Moore, yeah, just a little bit. You know, he fought in both World War One and World War Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, an extraordinary human being, um, and uh, he was given the case by Judge Yale McFate. And everybody was just thinking this thing was going to plead out with this case and another case that was related on in a very short period of time. And Alva Moore, in spite of all of that, said, listen, you cannot use his confession. You know, it can't be a voluntary confession if an attorney isn't present. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and Alvin Moore banged on that repeatedly. And it was in the record. And that is why the ACLU picked up on that. And that was the, pretty much the argument. 
There is no such thing as a voluntary confession. You don't know what your Fifth Amendment rights. You don't understand your Fifth Amendment rights. How can you confess to something when you don't even know what your rights are? So he preserved the record in that regard. And, uh, and he was an advocate for Miranda. So without that passion for Miranda and without that passion for the the fact that he was, I don't want to, well, let's call it what it is. Without that passion for pointing out the coerced uh, confession, then really the ACLU doesn't pick up the case and Miranda just silently goes to jail. Correct. Well, yeah, he would have gone to jail. He was in jail. Well, I mean, <laughs> he, he, he goes to pr- he goes to prison on that sentence. He gone to prison, and he was in prison actually. But but the but the reality is that a, a lot of things were happening at that time. Uh, two weeks later, I mean, t- yeah, two weeks later, there was uh, another Supreme Court decision regarding the the rights to an attorney uh, called Gideon versus Wainwright, and a lot of this has to do with timing. Uh, in all honesty, um, it, it, it was about to happen anyway. The federal government was giving people rights. It, was, you know, it wasn't called Miranda, and it wasn't worded the way it is today. But you know, they notified everybody that they had the right to remain silent, and they also notified people that they had a right to counsel. Um, but So it, it would have happened. Mm-hmm. But at, at the end of the day, for whatever reason, we picked a bad guy uh, to be the standard bear for, uh, for this law. And they, and, you know, and could have picked a different case. The ACL could have picked a different case, okay. uh, you know, but, uh, they, they picked this one and, um, you know, and, and it is what it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we do mention at the end, you know, since then over a hundred countries have embraced language that supports the right to an attorney and, and uh, a right against self-incrimination. So, uh, uh, but it is, uh, you know, it, it, I'm pretty certain, I'm, I'm very certain that this would have happened, rights like this, but we would not be calling it the Miranda rule. You know, I, and, and you're right. It, it just so happens that it was just this case. Uh, and I wonder... I wonder if not Miranda, then who, you know, who, who it would have fallen under and who it would have fallen to. Um, because Miranda, as, as you pointed out earlier in the program, Miranda wasn't the, the nicest guy. <laughs> and he, he wasn't, you know, his, his record wasn't stellar. Um, let's kind of review a little bit, too, uh, a, a, a bit about Miranda. He had been clean for three years before, as he points out, he had been clean for three years before this particular offense against Trisha. Do you really believe that? I mean, no. as a as a serial rapist, um, he had he had been popped three years prior uh, to Trisha. But but was there any evidence that he potentially had been doing things up until Trisha? Well, I, I you know. He lied <laughs> yeah. because he was tried for, for another crime and he was he was found guilty. Uh, yeah, uh, so, no, he had done a lot of things uh, during that period of time. But, you know, he said, I didn't do anything for three years because that's when he got out of prison <laughs> the first time. And then during that three years, we know for a fact 
that he violated some other women uh, and um, and he robbed and, and he did it on the way home from work. You know, he uh, you know, he stalked them. Uh, it was very carefully planned. I, I know that there was uh, one woman that worked in the for the phone company and he waited in a parking lot for her uh, and she got into her car and he started approaching. She started screaming. And then all of a sudden, some other headlights came on and he ran off. Um, you know, and there was another woman that he robbed. So, uh, you know, he said what he said because it was convenient, you know, when he was being interrogated. Mm-hmm. But, but the reality, he was a bad guy. You know how he was, I, I always say that this, he was dishonorably discharged from the military. Now, I've been in the army. Okay. Right? And, yep. and uh, you know, the reality of life is it's hard to get a dishonorable discharge, you know, uh, there's all kinds, there's medical, there's less than honorable, there's all these other kinds of discharges. So to get and to be put in the stockade in the military, you know, you got to be a bad guy. And then the guy stole cars, you know, you know, he's not only a juvenile delinquent, he was an adult delinquent. But the one thing that is really true, he was a charming individual. Uh, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, I, I guess a lot of people are, are charming. Uh, so <laughs> that are bad guys. What was it that made the more so than just the rights? What, what was it about Ernesto Miranda that made the ACLU want to fight on his behalf? I mean, I, they, they didn't know him. They didn't care to know him. Okay. They didn't care about the individual. They just cared about one thing and one thing only. He confessed without an attorney. And can it be considered voluntary? You know, I think we say there's two big policemen there with guns (laughs) staring at you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so can it be voluntary uh, if that's the case? So um, uh, and then the reality of life is if, if he didn't sign that confession, None of this would have happened. I mean, we wouldn't be here talking uh, about Miranda rights today because that was the basis. They, they, there was a lot of people across the country that were sitting in jail that confessed. And the ACLU said, we don't we want them all out. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that their co- confession wasn't coerced. And um, so, yeah, it would have been named after somebody else. Uh, and the ACLU was on a mission to make sure that uh, everybody was aware of their Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights. The way it's portrayed in the movie, the the way they put the paper in front of him and said, hey, you know what, just just so you, and and I'm I'm trying to, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the exact way it was written in the movie. And maybe you can correct me here, George. Hey, maybe so it it looks better or, or, or it looks official. Maybe you should just write it down the way that you just told it to us. Yeah. Is that coercion or is that putting the cherry on top of what was just told to the police? Well, there, so that we want the viewer to decide for themselves whether or not they think that's coercion, <laughs> right? Okay. Whether or not they think the mere fact that there's two, two uh, police officers in the room. Did he feel coerced? And that was one of the questions that we put out there. Do you really think he was coerced or was it voluntary? He wasn't beat. He wasn't. You know, none of that happened. All right. He sat there and uh, and he, uh, you know, fell apart like a cheap tent, you know, uh, okay. at one point in time. So uh, but, 
you know, he was also made promises uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and he was lied to in some cases. So uh, and, and they do that today, you know, as part of the, the story the the police tell you they think they have evidence that they might not necessarily have. Mm-hmm. But uh, but, you know, you go ahead uh, and you confess and, uh, you know, that's what happens today. Yeah, I you know, when it. I, the the way it was put in the movie, it was so slick to me that I, I thought, okay, is that coercion or is that asking me to, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, yeah. I, oh, I agree. I, just, I want you to make that decision for yourself. Right, right. I mean, because I just basically told you what I did. I offered up the information. Um, but you're right. When, when, when we think of Miranda rights or Miranda warnings, we do have the right to remain silent. We have the right to say, well, I choose not to talk to you. And I, I have that right against self-incrimination. I don't have to tell you what it is exactly uh, that I did in this, in this particular instance. Um, and the, the one thing that I found intriguing in the first, the first lawyer, that, which is played by Andy Garcia, um, he, he's insistent throughout the entire trial and, and from the time he steps into the first scene to the time where he exits that Ernesto Miranda does not have, or he never had a lawyer present with him. Um, now, where in the system, up until that point, did it say that you were entitled to have a lawyer with you? Oh, you're not. And, and the point is, he was entitled, entitled to have a lawyer at trial. Right. But he did not have to have a lawyer. Nobody had to appoint a lawyer while he was being interrogated. So uh, up until that point in time, uh, you know, no lawyer was uh, uh, was required to be at them. And as long as, again, they didn't beat him physically or or or, or threaten him or do anything physically uh, to him, uh, that was all legal. It was standard at that time. So that really which. Okay, so this is what's confusing to me now, George. So this is actually a new take on, is this a new take on the law or is this just his take on the law that there should be a lawyer present as what, a moderator? No, the the, the lawyer, as I said, two weeks later, uh, there was a Supreme Court decision. Okay, okay. Uh, Right, but, but, you know, and then it was reinforced uh, by uh, uh, the Warren decision, the, okay. the Warren Court so decision. He's going off right? precedent, so that it had required. But up until then, as long as you didn't beat anybody, you didn't need a lawyer until trial. Okay, okay. So he's going off precedent. I see. I see. Um, uh, okay, I, I get that. I get that. Okay. Um, so I, I guess my, as far as questioning goes here. Um, with Miranda, and I'm trying not to give away too many spoilers here, George, uh, so, so bear with me. As far as Ernesto Miranda goes here, what do you feel, it's hard to say with a, with a guy like this who's, I, I hate to put it this way, what do you feel his legacy is? Because he's, he's not a very nice guy. Yeah, well, I think up until now, when you have a law bearing your name, that's uh, that's uh, in, in a positive way. That's a good legacy. Maybe that'll change. You know, he, he you know, um, 
I tell you the, the thing that was interesting and without giving away too much. Sure. One of the things that drew me to the, um, to, to this whole story was the manner in which he died. Okay. And, um, and I think that uh, th- th- there was an irony there uh, that I said, man, this, you know, this story needs to be told. So uh, I think that, you know, if you want to think about the legacy, um, I think that, you know, you wait until you see the end of the movie and uh, it would be, you know, greatly appreciated by everybody. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess on the flip side of that, I would ask, what do you feel if there is one, what is Trisha's legacy here and, and Trisha's family? Because you, you don't want somebody like that to be forgotten. I mean, she's, she's the other flip side of this coin. Well, you know, I had to convince her how to find her, <laughs> track her down, convince her and her family that this was an important story. Mm-hmm. And uh, Saturday night, uh, we did a lot of filming at Monmouth University here in New Jersey, so, uh, and we had a special screening, and we introduced Trish for the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, and I will tell you, people got up, shouted, standing ovation. They thought she was an important person. The RAIN organization, she they want her to be the, the face of her organization in some way. Um, and her legacy, I think, when you look at this, uh, I can tell you, I've, I've been to many film festivals uh, and we had many panel discussions. And afterwards, women came up, besides people crying, came up and told us how important it was that we tell this story and how important that it was for them, that was cathartic for them because they had experienced something similar, you know, earlier on. And um, so I think if there's a legacy for her, it's that women will be inspired by her courageous, you know, behavior. She was a hero. It's one of the first things Mm -hmm. that we say. I say she was a hero. Um, it's funny if I can go on, it's sort of funny when I first saw her, I mean, she didn't tell anybody, she didn't tell her family. She, nobody knew this, this was hidden. And, uh, so she didn't want to talk to me. Um, but I said to her, I said, you need to understand something. One, uh, you're a hero. And two, I'm going to tell the story, whether or not I have your help but I would really need your help to make sure that it's accurate. And, uh, and, you know, after a lot of thought, you know, I interviewed her for 45 minutes. Uh, she was very comfortable because my wife was with me, mm-hmm. some strange guy going up there talking to her, you know, she would, uh, and then we did another four hour interview. And since then I can honestly tell you, we've become very good friends. I love her to death. She's a special woman, and I hope she inspires a whole lot of other women to speak out. That's a wonderful story. You know, George, I I think she will inspire a lot of women, especially a lot of women that see this movie. I I know it's to watch the movie, it makes you physically uncomfortable, but that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. it should be an uncomfortable place to be to 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 see that, but it should be uncomfortable to spring you into action. Um, yeah. 
and and that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I can tell you um, that you know uh, one of the things I knew immediately is I needed a female director mm-hmm. uh, to capture the emotion. Uh, and I interviewed a number of directors, but when I found Michelle Danner, who was not only able to bring the talent that you see on the screen, but bring out the visceral responses that they all had, and they this was a excuse me, this was a passion project for all of them. Uh, quite frankly, they understood the importance behind this. Uh, so um, for them to uh, get on board, but it really is Michelle. You know, when I saw the product, quite frankly, it was better than I, even I could possibly imagine. Michelle had a, a wonderful vision, and and we worked together splendidly. You know, I hopefully maybe I'll work with her again someday. But <laughs> but uh, she she was absolutely brilliant. Well, I hope you do work with her again someday. Uh, you you two put out a wonderful product. Miranda's Victim is a wonderful movie. And I, again, I encourage everyone to go see it. It's available October 6th, this coming Friday. It's in select theaters and on demand. Uh, we have a link in the description of this program. And George, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Tim, thank you for having me. Thank you, George. George Colber has been our guest. He is the producer and screenwriter of Miranda's Victim. Again, folks, it's available in select theaters and on demand October 6th, which is this coming Friday. I encourage you all to go see that movie again. Abigail Breslin, Ryan Phillippe, Luke Wilson, uh, Andy Garcia, Donald Sutherland, and more are in that movie. Again, go check out that movie this coming Friday. Folks, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. It's time for us to bring in Beer City Bruiser. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Story Time. What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's a time, once again, the time you all look forward to. It is time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. And with that, we bring in a co-host, the co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear, the guy who won't throw a 99-yard interception and get mowed down at the end, the Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, Bruiser? Oh, Cruiser, I tell you. Buy a house, they say. It'll be great, they say. <laughs> then you realize you have to pay for all the repairs, they say. <laughs> yeah. Last month, three weeks ago, refrigerator goes out. Now the oven goes out. Find mm-hmm. out all our electrical stuff's got to be updated. And it's just like, oh, so as I was telling you off air, because we're recording at weird times this week. It's, yes. It's yeah. hell week for me. It's hell week for you. It's- yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's not a not a fun week this week for one reason or another. You would think we're getting into spooky season. It should be fun. I know. And like I missed all football yesterday because of the show, which the show is great. The show is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be on Title Match Network in a couple weeks. Um, I did a lot of cool New things that I wanted to try that I'm hoping picks up in professional uh, underwater needlepoint. Oh, there you go. So that was a lot of fun, but it's just like, and then I saw the new Exorcist trailer, the new, new one. Yeah. I cannot wait to see this movie. Yeah, there you go. Oh. Yeah. See? So yeah. that'll be my prize for the end of Hell Week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I know, you know what? A lot of people in chat this weekend were, were talking underwater needlepoint. 
I saw that you yeah. uh, you were telling me off air, and and I saw in the chat too that AEW pay per view was actually pretty good. Yep, they were talking that. They were talking No Mercy. They were talking yep. a which lot I heard of stuff. was really good too, and I want to yeah. watch that. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of underwater needle point chat. So it was it was a it was a big weekend for that. Yeah, it was. It was. I heard the No Mercy pay per view was amazing too. Yeah, it was really which good. I'm I love that fans. And, and I, I'm going to say this because there's some fans out there that aren't this way. If you're, you don't have to be a, just a fan of AEW. You don't have to be a fan of just WWE. You can just be an underwater needlepoint fan. Just yeah. be a fan. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember as a kid, I watched everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. I loved Same everything. Here. Yeah. Same here. You know, Monday Night Wars. Everyone says, "Which one are you?" I said, "I'm both." Yeah. I had two TVs, or if I couldn't get the two TVs, I record one. And then I record ECW. <laughs> you know, yep. like I wasn't. I'm a wrestling fan. I'm yep. not a company fan i still watch everything so yeah yeah and i don't get to watch aew as much um some for personal reasons some is uh i just don't really care but i I do keep tabs on my my friends Mm -hmm. and uh i want to say congratulations to my boy vincent um yeah really good friend of mine uh driving home from the show i got a text from you Mm -hmm. with a picture of him and i was like that's so cool Mm -hmm. and i'm so proud of him because i got to have a hand in the character development and became really close with him as among a a lot of the other ring of honor guys so yeah congrats to him and dutch it was fun to see that they're finally getting their just desserts the righteous opened the show against mjf at russell dream and it was uh, it was a good match Damn, yeah. damn good match, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he deserves it, you know. And, and you and I were talking last week off air about how, how well he's doing cause with the Hardys and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I shared a story about how Jeff Hardy was his his idol and his inspiration. And he got to pin him on TV in front of a huge worldwide crowd. So, yeah. But again, Vincent, congratulations. I love you, buddy. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a, uh, it was a damn good showing by them. So, uh, looking forward to seeing more of them because they, uh, how should we put it? They, uh, they, uh, they didn't completely bury them, put it that way. Exactly. Yeah. So that you'll see more of them. You'll see and more. you and I were worried about that at first. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, that's I a habit over there. Is is the it's the cocaine booking. It's a little bit of a push, and then forget about them, and a little bit, and forget about them. But the thing about Vincent that I like, knowing Vinny himself, mm-hmm. he's not gonna be, he's not gonna allow himself to be forgotten. He will, he will make just the right amount of noise, positive noise. Yeah, with the people that are in charge, and then I can't wait till they let him go on the mic. Um, I got to see it in Ring of Honor. I've been watching AEW. You said AEW, it's like little 30 seconds, 90 second clips. And I can't wait till they let them do that three minute, you know what I mean? Like yeah. sit down because he worked real close with Bray and Jake the Snake Roberts on how to cut promos. And those are probably two of the best promo guys in the business. They really just started to let him get warmed up. They started doing the the little pre-tapes and stuff like that and and they're just started to simmer they just started to get cooking and and i feel like maybe they threw him to mjf too soon i, I agree you know and they, they really should have let him have more a little more prime time tv time before they threw yeah. him to mjf so uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see yep. I, I, you know they got to get their they got to get their uh their heat back so it's just good to see wrestling's live and well, and yeah. and our listeners are coming around to 
you know, we're not a wrestling show, but right. we're wrestling fans. Yeah, exactly. So because we could have the same conversation about movies, we could have the same conversation about comic books or that's music. Right. That's right. That's you and I have the same taste in all of that. <laughs> well, they do have that. They do have the, the righteous have that supernatural twinge to them, that that cult like twinge that to cult them. Leader, which, yep. Yeah, which which uh, we love to see. I mean, it's when he so he came to me. I knew him back when he was he was just Vinny. He was Ink Mass Ink. What was it? Ink Furious Ink Sanity? That's it. Ink Sanity Vinny. Mm-hmm. And his whole gimmick was he was just this tattooed freaky guy. Mm-hmm. And. I remember when in Ring of Honor, when he's part of the kingdom, he's like, I want to change this character. And he says, I'm going to come to you. He says, because you and I, the way him and I bonded was over, this is going to sound weird, we are bonded over serial killers. Okay. Because we're both fans of true crime and serial killers. And we both had a liking to Manson. Mm-hmm. Because Manson himself wasn't a serial killer, but he had commanded people to go out and do it. You know, so we were fascinated by that. And then we get into the Jim Jones and David Koresh and all that. And he's like, I want this character to be like that, but I don't want it to be a cult. Like, you know, I want it to be that weird kind of like what Bray was doing with the Wyndham family, but he doesn't want to copy Bray. He didn't want to copy Matt. And I'm like, okay. So the two of us would sit down and just think of little things. Yeah. And, like, one of the little things that we thought of was, like, the snapping. Yeah. Because if yeah. you can get a snapping and a rhythm, people listen to you. Yep. And that's an old beatnik thing. Do you remember back yep. in the beatnik days? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That That's where we came up with that. And then the, um, what's it, the real soft talking. Yeah. Because every wrestling promo was yelling. And I said, Bray and Jake stood out because they whispered. Yeah. So he does that. And then the using of bigger words so he'd, he'd have a dictionary and he'd go how can i say great a different mm-hmm. way and he'd look up in a thesaurus like different ways and then that's what he uses yeah yeah and i said what you got to do is you got to be an eloquent speaker because that's what all those guys had in common they yes yeah they could bullshit like the best bullshitters yeah and then for the sadistic side we went with a Dahmer or a ed kemper and that's why if you go back and watch when he initially turns we're in new york and uh I, Brian and I had volunteered to be the the way he became the sadistic killer, you know, Okay. which I don't regret, but there's times where I'm like, okay. So he was in New York. The way we, they started this was in New York. He was supposed to slide in the ring, him and TK, okay. and hit me and Brian each in the back with a chair. Okay. And then hit us three times each with a chair. Okay. And that was, that was supposed to be, you know, and then sit down, cut the promo. Yeah. So he slides in the ring. I brace myself. I take the first chair shot. I'm like, all right. Crowd's going crazy. He gives me the, the second one. He goes over to Brian, gives him one, comes back to me. And they, they each, we each got the three. Okay. Brian and I get together in the ring. We squeeze each other's hands. That's how we know we're okay. And then Brian goes, this crowd's hot. They have to do more. And I was like, fuck. But you're right. <laughs> they are. Yeah. So Vinny, he goes, I heard you. And I took six chair shots whoa to the back and the i was bruised i bet you were head to toe and then on the fly i said sit on my chest light my cigar and put your put my cigar out on my chest oh so if you watch the video he's actually lighting a cigar and putting the cigar out on my chest 
and that was the that was the beginning of it. And in my he goes, why did you say the cigar thing? I go because think about it. If, if a serial killer's got his prey down, he's not just going to kill him right away. Right. You always hear about Dahmer doing the experiments or Gacy tying him up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I said, just came to me. My cigar was right there. You're sitting in a chair on me. Why wouldn't you play with your food? That's right. That's right. And he goes, I love it. And so we just went more and more sadistic, and it eventually built up to the bar fight without honor which i encourage people to go watch on youtube yep. and he ended up throwing steel tart steel tipped darts into my back <laughs> god just reliving so, that is uh, enough, mm. enough wrestling but that's how we all could go and try and tie it in with the true crime because we, we we pulled from serial killers we pulled from cult leaders we pulled from supernatural beings the bible he used a little bit and it was just and now it is what it is and it's amazing yeah go check that out folks it, it's it's a it's a great chapter in ring of honor history and i don't know if you could recreate that in the new ring of honor you probably could but you won't see it <laughs> i don't think anybody's gonna do what we did <laughs> yeah, that's true that's true some truly original stuff there uh let's get going with dumb crime stupid criminals speaking of some supernatural stuff bruiser this guy, we're going to, to the Detroit, Michigan area. We're going to Bloomfield Township, where a home invasion suspect claims he was chased by spiders, vampires, and angels. As, as he, uh, oh, yeah, as he uh, <laughs> all, runs, all three were chasing him, huh? <laughs> yeah, as he ran through the house screaming at the uh, the homeowner. <laughs> Who did he piss off to get all three variations? Because <laughs> like, I don't see an angel trying to harm somebody. <laughs> it's not normally a team up you hear about, not even in Marvel comics. No, you don't. You don't no. hear a vampire going, ah, you want to come with me to kill him? <laughs> yeah, the, the I can see maybe the spiders and the vampires, but the angels, they don't normally, <laughs> yeah, they don't normally cooperate. A uh, man charged in a Bloomfield Township home invasion said he was being chased by spiders, vampires, and angels before he was arrested on Tuesday. 40-year-old Jacob Vore of Kilo Harbor was arraigned Thursday in 48th District Court in Bloomfield Hills on a charge of first-degree home invasion. Asian. Judge set his bond at how much do you think? Uh, twenty thousand dollars. Go a little higher. Hundred thousand dollars. Yes. All right. Hundred thousand dollars and scheduled wow. his next court appearance for October tenth, according to court records. If convicted, he faces up to twenty years in the slammer. Oh wow. Yep. Well, at least they put it October tenth, not Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that would be appropriate for the people who came to visit him, I guess, right? You're absolutely right. Yeah. The charges stem from a home invasion that happened at around 3 a.m. on Tuesday on Turtle Lake Drive, which <laughs> seems appropriate. The only thing that wasn't chasing him was a turtle. Uh, police said the homeowners were awakened by a security alarm and went to investigate. He told investigators he armed himself and heard a noise coming from his basement. He said he yelled down to whoever or whatever was making the commotion. He reported that a man's voice responded and said he was being chased by spiders, vampires, and angels. An unknown man began ascending a spiral staircase, the homeowner told officers. He said he told the man that he was armed with a gun and warned him not to come upstairs. Because <laughs> you know vampires are scared of guns. That's right. That's the first thing a vampire will ward off is, is when you tell them I'm armed and dangerous. <laughs> and they go, blah, blah, don't shoot. I'm good. Uh, the unknown man then told the homeowner to shoot him. Because, <laughs> huh. you know, he's being chased by angels and vampires. Yeah, I guess he's better off dead than being chased. Well, know. no, the angel can bring him back. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, that, you got a point there. Uh, detectives said the homeowner fired a shot down the stairs, but the round did not strike anyone. The invader went back down the stairs. <laughs> Uh, oh, good. Uh, police officers arrived and saw the suspect in the basement. As they approached the rear of the home, the suspect exited the house and was ordered to the ground. Officers arrested the man, took him to police headquarters. They were able to identify the suspect as Vor. Police investigated and determined the suspect used a pry bar to break into the house through a basement window. They also reviewed the house's video security system, and the footage showed Vor holding a carving knife he had taken from a knife block in the basement's kitchen. Well, this must be a nice house that they have a kitchen in the basement. I was going to say. Yeah. You know that's not their only kitchen, I bet. No, 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 no. Uh, it also showed Vor holding a knife as he walked toward the stairs. During questioning, Vor admitted to breaking into the home and told the detectives, I wasn't there to hurt anybody. Then why are you holding a knife? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also executed a search warrant at Vor's home. Authorities said they found no known stolen property there. Investigators said they do not believe Vor or the incident have a connection to a recent rash of high-end burglaries in Oakland County. So there you go. Uh, let's move on, Bruiser. A New York student has been detained in Dubai for months for months now for touching an airport security guard during a 10-hour layover. Just walked up and touched him. Essentially. Okay. Essentially, a 21-year-old New York college student has been detained in Dubai after airport staffers accused her of assaulting and insulting them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Elizabeth Polanco de los Santos was traveling from Istanbul with a friend when the incident unfolded in mid-July. Detained in Dubai, an organization that provides advice and legal assistance to foreigners in the United Arab Emirates said that in a press, a press release, the pair had a 10-hour layover in Dubai, which they chose over Paris, probably regretting that choice by now, well, I'm guessing. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, for Polanco... Now, wait a minute. This uh, this is spelled two different ways here. So it's it's Polanco del, de los Santos. Uh, those 10 hours have now stretched into multiple months. Uh, Polanco de los Santos said in the press release, we thought it would be a more modern and futuristic city, but we were completely wrong. As she went through the security screening, airport employees told her she needed to take off her doctor-mandated wrist training brace. Uh, it added that despite her hesitation, she agreed and was ushered into a booth with female security officers who were rough as they removed her compressor. I felt really violated, Polanco del San or de, la Santo de los Santos said, adding that she was uncomfortable and afraid. The press release said she tried to put the trainer back on by herself, a process that takes two people before crying and asking for help. The security officers didn't help and blocked her exit, at which point Polanco de los Santos lightly nudged one of them so that she could call out to her friend for help. I gently touched her arm to guide her out of the way, then desperately started crying to my friend for help, she said. Though the search came back clear, officials told her she'd be detained for touching the female customs officer and kept her for hours as they filed the complaint. Really? And they're taking, they're making her take off her medical equipment. Yes. Yeah. I, okay. I didn't know they could do that. They can. 
Actually, when I go through, uh, because I have the, the brace and the shoe, the, mm-hmm. the Charco brace, they, I, I've been asked before to take it off. Really? Even though you, you, it's the doctor says you have to wear it because yes. it can cause further damage. Really? Yes. yes. Okay. I've been asked before to take it off at different airports. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just filing a criminal or civil case against someone in Dubai triggers a complicated legal process wherein the accused party is prohibited from leaving the country. In fact, local scammers are known for using such cases to extort foreigners for money, saying they'll drop the case in exchange for thousands of dollars. A Texas woman was detained in Dubai for months after being accused of yelling, (laughs) which her accusers said violated the nation's obscenity law. She was released after paying more than $1,000 to have the travel ban against her lifted. Okay, I. it depends what she was yelling. <laughs> but wow. Yeah. You're not allowed back in our country because you were yelling. Right. Rada Sterling, the CEO of Detained in Dubai, uh, said people could end up detained in the UAE for years on bogus or minor charges. In another case Sterling is working on, a U.S. veteran has been detained in the country for years on what he says are false charges that he owes a debt to his children's school. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. For Polanco de los Santos, a student at Lehman College, the past few months moving from one hotel to another and waiting for court hearings has been miserable. Even if Elizabeth wins her case, six months or more of being forced to stay in the country at her own cost while under the very real threat of imprisonment is an unacceptable consequence for, or rather of, transiting through Dubai, Sterling said in the press release. This is simply no way to treat visitors. So she has to pay for her own self to live over there because she can't travel anywhere. That is. Yeah. And I get, okay, so Dubai, that's Arabs, right? That's the Middle East. It's it's an Arab country. Correct. I I know the male and females are looked at differently, but still, come on. Like, it's not like she can work over there. No, she can't. She can't make a living over there. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely. That's why I have to watch your P's and Q's over there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people, they got to learn that. Like, I always watch these 90 day shows and like there's a girl that went to India and she's upset because she can't have her voice. I go, that's because it's a male run culture. Like, yes. it's not like America. America is yep. very progressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, indeed, so I giggle. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, we continue. Someone who probably should be arrested. Uh, a Michigan team. We're going to school here, Bruiser. Oh, okay. We're continuing with the school theme, we had one student here. We have another student here in Michigan. A teen is arrested for throwing a chair at a teacher and faces felony assault charges. Well, of course, he's throwing chairs at teachers. <laughs> That's right. Probably somebody who should stay away from the underwater needle point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> readily available chairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A Michigan high school student is now facing felony charges after throwing a metal chair at her teacher's head and causing her to go unconscious. Oh, knocked her out. Okay. Yeah. Evidently he's a good shot. Probably should try out for the baseball team. The 15-year-old high school junior at Southwestern Classical Academy was charged with two counts of felony assault for throwing the chair at the teacher and hurting her. Footage from the incident shared online showed two students yelling at each other with a heated con- or in a heated confrontation while the teacher tried to alleviate the situation. Once the teacher turned her back, the student threw a desk chair in her direction, striking her in the head. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, ooh, <laughs> to say the least. 
Uh, the teacher fell to the ground and stayed there for approximately seven seconds. And Flint Police Chief Terrence Green told ABC 12 the school's resource officer stepped in to stop the fight and found her with head injuries. The teacher was taken to the hospital and is recovering, according to a statement from District Superintendent Kevin Jones. Both students were arrested while the teacher has since been released and expects to return to teaching very soon. Superintendent Jones stated that the student who struck the teacher will be held accountable for actions under state law and the school district's code of conduct. We are committed to ensuring that our schools are safe and conducive to learning for all scholars. And we take this responsibility very seriously, Jones wrote in a statement. The video of the incident drew outrage from officials who have criticized Michigan schools and are looking for change within the system. This video perfectly captures the sad state of education in Michigan. No sense of order or direction, no respect for teachers, and worst of all, no learning, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig tweeted. Failure to educate young Michiganders is a recipe for increased crime, upticks in unemployment, and societal disorder. Michiganders deserve wow. better. <laughs> Holy cow, he went off. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little upset. I don't know. I like the Michiganders. That's a cool name. Michiganders. Why is there no minor league baseball team called that? I don't know. That, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The Detroit Michiganders. <laughs> I'll take a Michigander at that one, if you don't mind. <laughs> That's what the teacher said. Yeah. Hey, I'll take a Michigander at that chair from 15 feet away. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we go from one student who's a little, uh, how should we say, immature to another student, former student, who's a little way too immature. Oh, okay. So we, we go from immature to completely more immature. Okay. Yes. This woman probably should know better. You would think as you get older, but I've noticed it doesn't work that way with most people. No, this this woman probably should have left this student alone. Okay. <laughs> All right. A woman who assaulted a student charged was charged after trying to run her over with her SUV. Ooh. This is a grown woman trying yeah. to run over a student. You've got to know it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're going to severely hurt the person, kill the person. Or not do anything, but either way, you're catching charges. That's right. Uh, according to the report, police spoke with the student who said Coronado had tried to hit her with her car as she was walking home from her bus stop. This this is no spring chicken bruiser. This is what she looks like. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. She this, should know better. This is a soccer mom taking off in her SUV and trying to hit a student. Like, she's got to be around our age. And I remember when we went to driver's ed. They always told us not to hit people with a car. <laughs> At well, least in my driver's No, I showed you a picture of her, and you think she's around our age, but I'll, yeah. I'll give you her age here in a second, and you're going to be surprised. Okay. A woman who had previously been arrested for fighting a minor student has been charged again after trying to run her over with an SUV weeks after the original incident. According to police reports obtained by WVLT News, 35-year-old Allison Coronado. Whoa. She's she 35. Ridden- she was ridden hard and put up wet. Holy cow. <laughs> yes, she was. <laughs> was taken into custody in August for trying to fight a girl as she got off her school bus in the East Knoxville area. Oh, come on. You don't have to pick fights with kids that are getting off the bus. <laughs> right. You're 35 years old. Yeah. And you look 63. <laughs> yeah. She, she does not look good, folks. No. Uh, she, not even Ulta can help that face. No. like Just say it. Some say I have a baby face. This girl definitely has a 
a a butterface. A butterface. There you go. Yes, a butterface. She was taken into custody again after the latest incident, which happened on September 20th. According to the report, police spoke with the student who said that Coronado had tried to hit her with her car as she was walking home from her bus stop. <laughs> so she took two swipes at her coming off the bus. At two different times. Like, hey, okay, you're off the bus. I'm going to beat you up. Oh, I lost that. Oh, you're getting off the bus. Fine, I'll just hit you with my SUV. Oh. The victim stated she was walking home from the bus stop when Allison Coronado, the suspect, tried to hit her with her white Ford Explorer. Way to go, OJ. Uh, <laughs> while shouting, run, fatty, at the victim. <laughs> Oh, my God. Why would you do it like this? I, and you know this is over something stupid. Yeah. Like this is her son's boyfriend or son's girlfriend or something. You're 35 years old and you're yes. shouting run fatty and trying to run over a high school student with your SUV. Yeah. Go back to your mom's basement. Continue to do your drugs. That's incredible. Police also said in the report that they were able to track down a video of the incident, which showed the student running from the SUV, which had crossed traffic in her direction. So she literally like saw her last minute went to try and hit her. Yeah. Yeah. A white SUV pulls onto the roadway. The student runs in fear across the street. The white SUV veers towards the opposite lane of travel while yelling out the window, police said in the report, describing the video. Coronado was charged with assault for the second time. So this, this lady just has so much hatred for this little girl. She's willing to almost kill other people, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't matter. Someone needs therapy, I think. I think so. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the classroom, Bruiser. Okay. A teacher is busted after students find her meth at family fun night. Oh, well, it's, it is family fun night. That's right. I got to thank uh, A. Wiltfong. By the way, you guys have come through once again this week with sto with stories for Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals. If you have a story for us for drum Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals, just send it to Tim at DarknessRadio.com. But this one comes from our lovely listeners. An Indiana middle school teacher was arrested after two students found her methamphetamine stash uh, inside a hidden compartment on her hair scrunchie. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, I've been out of the game too long. You can now hide it in your scrunchie. Okay. A hidden compartment in your scrunchie. Yeah, so this girl puts some thought into how she's going to hide her mess. I want to know what beauty what beauty store you find that at. Oh, you know it's custom made. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and the 35-year-old woman, again with the 35-year-old women, <laughs> I guess I've been out of the dating pool too long that I don't know that 35-year-old women are this cagey. I, me too. And I'm glad I'm out of the dating pool since 35 year old women are this cagey. <laughs> uh, the 35 year old woman came prepared for subsequent drug tests with a pouch of clean urine in her pants as well. Oh, look at her trying to cheat the system. Yeah. Look at her. She's a, she's a winner bruiser. She's a keeper. I wonder where she got the clean urine from. <laughs> you know, she's got that special student. She does. Yeah. She's probably got uh, the teacher's pet. Yeah, like, hey, you want an A? Like, I know you want an A. Piss in the smile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Teacher needs clean urine. Uh, Helfrick Park STEM Academy hosted a family fun night for students on September 12th, according to a probable cause affidavit. Obtained the STEM by academies are like the really smart kids, too. Yeah, yeah. Those are like the, so those, she's a really smart teacher. Well, 
Well, <laughs> the kids are really smart. She works at a really smart school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to a probable cause affidavit obtained by Fox News Digital, and Sarah Duncan attended the event along with her daughter, who was a student at the school. At the end of the event, around 6 p.m., Duncan posed with students at a photo booth, according to the affidavit. Both juveniles stated that Duncan let her hair down for the photo, her first mistake, Evansville Police Department of Officers wrote. After the photo, the juveniles cleaned up the area and located a bluish-colored velvet-type scrunchie with a white zipper on the table. They noticed the scrunchie was heavier than a typical scrunchie. They opened up the zipper pouch, nosy little mother and <laughs> yours. Don't that's, look. that's right and observed a glass vial that contained a white powder substance that the two believed to be drugs along with a cut straw with white powder that was our chemistry experiment that's right they immediately notified another teacher who instructed the students to throw the substance in the trash narcs yeah see the teacher was trying to help out the other teacher yeah, teacher's like, hey, we got to get through the day with you guys. <laughs> That's right. We need a little pick-me-up every once in a while. Uh, that teacher, who could not be reached by Fox News Digital at press time, secured the scrunchie in her classroom and notified the school's principal and assistant principal. Well, at least they did the right thing. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, two janitors working the night of the event dove into the garbage and sniffed as hard as they could. No, um... <laughs> They uh, they were working the night of the event, told police that Duncan was frantically searching for some sort of hair tie after the event had ended. Uh, security camera footage from the school obtained by police showed Duncan wearing the scrunchie earlier in the evening. A field test for methamphetamine on the scrunchie administered by responding police allegedly came back positive. Two days later, the school's deputy of, uh, chief of staff and Evansville police chief Tim Alford accompanied Duncan to a nearby clinic for a drug urine screening, per the document. The teacher's first two urine samples were too small and did not reach the temperature for testing. And, Dun <laughs> and Duncan allegedly acted baffled, telling officers that she did not know why her urine would not reach the appropriate level of temperature for testing. It's coming out of my body. I don't know why it's not 98 degrees. That's right. I don't get it. While making a third attempt, police wrote... Officers observed an unauthorized collection container fall from Duncan's shorts. Hmm. She's never had to fake a piss test before. We can tell that. That's right. You got to keep it close and tight to the body at all times to yep. warm keep it, it right up. Your armpit and your thigh, up your butt, somewhere. That's right. Duncan stated that she was not aware of the pouch or container in her shorts. It just showed up there, officer. <laughs> That's not mine. Yeah, God put you, it there. You must have put it there. That's right. Until after she was providing her second sample. <laughs> <laughs> Police wrote in their affidavit, Duncan stated that she does not know how or when the pouch or container got into her shorts that day. Uh, Duncan stated that there may be another one of them at her residence, but that they were not purchased by her, but by someone who she knows who probably uses them to pass drug screens. <laughs> Successfully. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Duncan was booked into the Vanderburg County Jail last Wednesday on one count of criminal possession and one count of possession of drug paraphernalia and has since been released on $1,000 bond on the condition that she attend a drug rehab program. A court clerk at Vanderburg Superior Court told that to Fox News Digital. Her first court hearing was scheduled for Tuesday. 
Now, Fox News Digital could not reach the school district for comment at press time. She was fired the day of her arrest, that according to WFIE. Duncan cannot be reached for comment and has not yet been assigned a public defender. Her next court appearance is October 9th. So I was a big fan of Breaking Bad. Like, this is literally right. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is, except for... Uh, except she got caught. Yeah, nobody's really dealing. They're just... Yeah, and I think their rule was you don't do your own supply. That's right. Don't get high on your own supply. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we switched gears a little bit. A toddler who went missing likely walked three miles barefoot with her family's two dogs before she was eventually found napping with them. Well, it's sweet she was napping with them. Yeah. The dogs will protect you, too. They will, yes. Not really a dumb crime here. It was just kind of dumb of the parents to let the kid out yeah well i can see i i don't know how you lose track of them but my daughter when my daughter my oldest one because i had a real young i still lived with my parents and she had it down to a science that when my dad got home from the jail she'd wait for him in the parking lot and then he couldn't come in the house as soon as he got out she'd grab his his finger and they'd walk to the end of the block and back really? that was like the thing they did all the time yeah that was her her papa time is what she called it huh and to this day she still remembers it and and there was a couple times where she wanted to go without Papa, <laughs> but we were right there and be like, no, you can't go, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, a Michigan toddler who went missing most likely walked three miles barefoot with her family's two dogs at her side before she was found hours later napping in the woods with the pups. Well, three mile walk that that'll tire you out. That's healthy. <laughs> it was a long way from home. Jeremy Housworth, the commander of the Michigan State Police, told Mountain Post, or rather, uh, Michigan State Police Iron Mountain Post, told Insider of where the girl was found. Uh, best we can figure, she got on a trail and started trucking it with the dog barefoot, <laughs> uh, just headed for the sunset. That's interesting. Um, uh -huh. Brooke Chase, a resident of rural Menominee County on Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Oh, the UP over by there, you know. Oh, the UP. Yeah. Uh, real stinks. Yeah. Stinks over there in the UP. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, realized her two-year-old daughter and her two dogs, a Rottweiler and a Cocker Spaniel, she could have rode them around instead of uh, What was she doing that she couldn't keep an eye on three things, a toddler and two dogs? Like, those <laughs> are things you have to pay attention to. She was watching her stories. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, went nowhere to be, or were nowhere to be found, rather, to, uh, around 8 p.m. on Wednesday. Yeah, what are you doing at 8 p.m. on Wednesday that you can't keep track of a toddler and two dogs? I know. She cooking the chili there. Yeah, I guess. Get, getting the chili ready for the uh, Lions game. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the eel pout, you know. Uh, we're... We're everywhere around here, Chase told WJMN of the search. It's completely wooded, deep, thick woods around here. There's a swamp over there. There's a swamp over there. So, of course, we're like freaking out. And after about 15 minutes of searching for her with our friends and family, I called the cops. <laughs> Chase's call sparked a four-hour-long coordinated search effort involving local troopers and youpers. Uh, canine units, civilian search and rescue volunteers, and aerial drones all scouring the dark woods for signs of the missing girl, according to Halsworth. Uh, finally, at about midnight, a civilian volunteer on a four-wheeler discovered the two-year-old as he was handed, or rather headed to go get more gas. So it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even looking. Oh, yeah. oh got to fill up the four-wheeler there. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's the girl. Oh, look at the girl. Oh, look at the puppies. Oh, the puppies. 
uh, Howsworth said one of the family dogs that had gone missing with the girl, the Rottweiler, jumped out at the four-wheeler, grabbing the driver's attention. Oh, he could have got hit. Oh, geez. Uh, that's when Howsworth told Insider the volunteer found the two-year-old curled up sleeping on top of the other dog, the family's Cocker Spaniel. Aww. Yeah, this this dog came out and bit me, so I just looked over there, and there she was. <laughs> it came out, bit me right on the leg. And, and there she was, just napping away. She was about three miles from her home at that point. Uh, the volunteer picked her up with no trouble, and she crashed back out in his arms. Aww. Aww. Uh, Howlsworth said he believed the toddler walked the whole three miles herself with the dogs walking alongside her. I don't know. Maybe she rode on the dog like a horse. <laughs> I, I picture at some point... The dog looking at her going, oh, you're tired? Okay, get on, kid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Rottweiler stays right next to her all the time, so I don't know if it had a collar or she just had an arm on it and was running because when a kid decides to go in a straight direction, they can make some tracks, Howsworth said, adding that the toddlers are motoring machines. The girl checked out by medical staff and confirmed to be healthy, a police spokesperson told the Detroit Free Press. So the kids you, know, you know what helps with those toddlers when they got the little motors going? A parent that watches them so they don't go three miles away from home. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, you don't need one of those leashes when you have a parent involved. <laughs> I even made the dog bark at that one. Talia's like, I get it. No leash, yeah. no leash. Yeah, no leash, no leash. Well, here's an even stupider story, Bruiser. Okay. Stupid parents again or no? Uh, just a stupid woman. <laughs> we got a lot of those today. All right. Yeah. Uh, this woman is accused of chugging alcohol following a crash. Well, you know, your <laughs> adrenaline's going. Yeah. Um, I've, I've chugged alcohol after a crash. After, I mean, it was, after it was hours car. after, and I was oh. released in the hospital in that home. <laughs> We're talking immediately after. Oh, I figured. I figured if it's a story that we have on this show, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was probably drinking mid-crash and wanted to finish her beer sure. before the cops showed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Michelle Miller is facing her fourth offense of drunken driving. Gee, go figure. She, this has got to be in Wisconsin. Yes, sir. We're going to Waukesha. <laughs> Of course. Yes. Good old Waukesha. Good old Waukesha. Butthole of, of Waukesha County. <laughs> the butthole of Waukesha County. That's where I used to live. I used to live in Waukesha, and it became a butthole. Oh, did it? Yeah, it started as a belly button. You're like, okay, this is okay. A little, little lint, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but now it's but it's expanded, after, you're saying? Oh, oh yeah. After the uh, third gas station robbery two blocks from where we were living, yeah, then it became a butthole. I see, I see. Well, a Waukesha woman now charged with fourth her fourth offense of drunk driving is seen on video chugging a canned cocktail because those are the best ones, Bruiser. Uh, as police, well, those new Jack and Cokes they have are really good. Yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad. Uh, as police arrived at the scene of a crash, they say she had just caused. <laughs> oh, so she wasn't even the innocent party in this deal. Oh, God, no. Yeah. It's part of the criminal complaint charging 55-year-old Michelle Miller in the incident in May at Grandview Boulevard and Silvernail Road. The oh, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. Is that a common crash site? No, it's actually a real nice site. There's a Denny's over there. There's a, oh, no, Silvernail will be, a, no, yeah, it's Denny's. It's, there's a gas station. The old Gast House restaurant used to be out there, but that's gone. No, no, I think oh. it's a Starbucks and a hair salon. And there's a Walgreens. It's like a pretty busy area. It's 
There's a little town called Pewaukee. There's a college over there. Yeah. I don't, where would she be? I'm trying to think where she was drinking. <laughs> In her car. There's a pick and save over there, so she probably went to the liquor store over there to pick it up. Sure. Uh, the cell phone video shot by one of the crash victims shows Miller grabbing a can out of a cooler inside a nearby gas station. Okay, so she went to the gas station to pick up some beer. The can, cocktail. Canned cocktail, sure. There's a mobile over there. They're expensive, though. I wouldn't recommend getting your beer there. No, I, I wouldn't either. No, you go you go half a block up to the pick and save, <laughs> you're going to save at least 2 or $3. This is valuable information, folks, that Bruiser's giving you. If you, <laughs> if you happen to go to the butthole of America here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> so, Miller grabbed a can out of a cooler at the nearby gas station, which... Bruiser says, don't get your liquor there. Uh, as the victim is heard asking, so why are you trying to buy more alcohol after you hit my car? <laughs> because uh, my buzz went away. I, I really need more alcohol. That's right. In minutes, Waukesha police responded to the crash in which Miller's truck plowed into an SUV, causing a chain reaction involving four vehicles. Okay. Yeah. See, no, now I think about it, there's a bar up, up a little bit on Grandview. <laughs> That she could have went to. I think it's. I think it's called the Waukesha Pool Club now. Okay. I think so. Okay. All right. It's been shut down three times for drug drugs and uh, solicitations. Okay. Well, it sounds like a reputable place. Oh, I used to go there all the time. <laughs> it was a place. It was like the badge of glory to go to that bar when you turn twenty-one. Okay. And yeah. and you did. I I take it. I did. Okay. Good. I did. My first date with Mrs. Bruiser was there. Well. How sweet. <laughs> they used to sponsor underwater needlepoint shows, so we used to get free beer. Oh, there you go. That, that's how I learned. You go to the pick and save instead of the mobile gear beer for the effort. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hit four cars on my way out, though. Well, good. good. That's, 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 that's wonderful. Uh, there, there were no serious injuries, by the way, of the, out of those four vehicles. Uh, by the time the police arrived, Miller could be seen on the video walking outside with the cocktail she hadn't paid for and chugging it next to the gas pumps. She hadn't paid for it? No. <laughs> she no. just went in with, all right, John, uh, this is an accident. I need this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She pretty much needed one for the road. Yeah. Yeah. The victim is heard telling police, she is okay. She went in there and got some more liquor. <laughs> I'm okay. I refilled my liquor. We're good. I can drive again. Yep. After Miller is seen collapsing on a patch of grass, she was treated for minor injuries and arrested. She's since been charged with operating a motor vehicle while under the influence, which is her fourth offense. She's also charged with retail theft for taking the canned cocktail, which, by the way, the drink of all fine motor vehicle offenders is a Smirnoff Ice Smash Red. <laughs> so she did the Smirnoff, the pose. Yeah, I figure, uh, figure we should let everybody know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, reached by WISN 12 News on Friday, the newscast of all fine offenders. Um, Miller said it's the, she, it's the bad station in Milwaukee it? County. Yeah, yeah you I like I like Fox Six better. But okay, teach her own. Teach her. Uh, Miller said she forgot my wallet in the car and was going to get money to pay for the drink when police arrived. 
That's not how that works. You have to leave it there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miller could face up to six years in prison if convicted. She had just completed two years of probation for her third drunk driving conviction a few weeks prior. So, hey, she had a free one. Um, (laughs) I think the record's 11 in Wisconsin. Is it? 11? I want to say it's 11 or 12. Oh, so she's got a ways to go. Before they take your license away. Yeah. Miller is currently free without bail as she waits trial. She told WISN 12 News on Friday that she's already participating in an alcohol treatment program. Evidently, that's going well for her. However, court records show she has violated a mandatory sobriety order several times since her arrest. Ah, okay. So, See, if she goes up Grandview about four miles Mm-hmm. Takes a left and then a right. She can be right there at the uh, uh, rehab. There's there a rehab go. area right there. Yeah. There you go. One day at a time, Michelle. One day at a time. Yeah. Yep. She was only a few miles from the courthouse in the jail, too. So the cops didn't have a long way to take her to book her. <laughs> I'm glad we could go on this reminiscence tour for you. I, I know exactly. I, I pictured it right in my head. I know exactly yeah. where she was. I'm, I'm glad we could we could take this tour <laughs> down memory lane for you, my friend. That. Oh. Such good memories for you. It is. You know. Let's move on. Um, could have happened to Michelle Miller was she could have been beaten with frozen chicken to end the day. <laughs> oh, I love when people get beat with food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have one of those stories here. Uh, <laughs> for our next story. I think this is our second frozen chicken story. We've had a story a couple of weeks ago with a man beating yes. a woman with a frozen chicken. Yes. And you and I are wondering, like, how, what, what crosses your mind to grab a frozen chicken? But hey, right. Obviously, it's occurring again if we get another story about it. Well, the thing is, is it's fist size. It's, <laughs> it's hard. It, it hurts. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect, uh, if you can't get uh, brass knuckles, get yourself a frozen chicken. Okay, I will do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do that for a finish of a wrestling match. There you go. Oh, there you go. I'll have the ref take the brass knuckles away. Yep. And then then frozen chicken. chicken. There you go. There you go. A 30-year-old woman was nabbed for a frozen chicken battery on her daughter. Of course, we're going to Florida. (laughs) Because that's where most (laughs) domestic chicken battery happens. (laughs) I don't know why, but it does. Thirty-year-old woman is facing domestic battery charges after allegedly striking her daughter with a frozen chicken. Let's just let that hang for a second. Shall I was going to say, let's let that marinate. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you don't marinate the frozen chicken before you hit somebody with it. You just let it fly. Uh, cops say the purported poultry crime occurred early uh, in the week in the St. Petersburg, Florida residence of Mary Marcourt. And her child, whose age is not listed in the court records, probably because she was too young to be hit with a frozen chicken. (laughs) Uh, The victim stated that the accused threw a frozen chicken at her and struck her in the right leg. Was it a leg for leg? Suck it up. Yeah, was it a leg? Was it a breast? Was it a thigh? Yeah. I mean, what part do you throw? Yeah. I mean, the leg would be perfect because it's got that, you know, like throwing knife type quality to it. Yeah, but a breast or a thigh is almost baseball style. It is, yeah. Mark the worst or- would be the wing. The wing's not doing any damage. No, it's not doing anything. Yeah, it's too light. Marquardt's sister told police that she observed the defendant tossing the bird and striking the victim with the chilled chicken. The 
<laughs> the affidavit does not disclose what prompted the alleged attack, which resulted in Marquardt's bust on a misdemeanor count. She posted $150 cash bond last night and spend, spent about 20 hours on ice at the county jail. Marquardt has pleaded not guilty and has been ordered by a judge to have no contact with her daughter. The document does not specify if the victim, who apparently escaped injury, was hit with a whole chicken or just a bird part. I wish we would have found out. <laughs> because a whole chicken would have hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marquardt was arrested in 2018 for headbutting her husband during an altercation. The cops say left him with a busted, bloody bottom lip. She's a keeper, by the way. Uh, after Marquardt's spouse requested that she not be prosecuted, the battery count was dropped by the state attorney. So he's a forgiving sort. You know, I don't think she's, I don't know, take a good look at her. I'd, I'd prosecute Ooh, her. Yeah. I'd prosecute her yeah. to the fullest extent. Fullest extent of the law. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. I'd have prosecuted her. I know that's pretty shallow, folks. You're thinking, well, you prosecute on looks? No, it's, it's um, you know, I think you go on love. But again, love wanes over the years. <laughs> it does. So, you know, I, I mean. And the kid was probably being a douche. Yeah, probably. I'm not saying the <laughs> you kid. You want your chicken fingers? What? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying the kid had it coming, but no. Speaking of love waning over the years, um, what's the worst thing in a fight with the spouse you could imagine doing? <laughs> I mean, not talking like domestic you assault is murder. It? Or yeah, <laughs> no, 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 not murder, not murder. Not saying domestic assault is 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 a good thing, but I mean, we all sometimes slip. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe you pour water over somebody's head or, you know, you, you do, maybe you throw something at somebody and you're, you're like, oh, you're such a little shit or whatever. And you, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe you pop somebody upside the back of the head lightly or I don't know, maybe you do something that kind of bad or weird or have you ever done something bad or weird to Mrs. Bruiser? And then she, I don't know, hit you with a golf club. <clears throat> <laughs> I don't know. She never hit me with a golf club, but she's hitting me with like uh, cooking pans and stuff. Has she? Yeah. Okay. Joe, who used to have a saying? Yeah. Joe, who psychic that was on the program here. God rest his soul. He's you know he's he's been gone now for about a year to year or two now. Two years. Okay. Two years. Okay. God, it's been two or three years now since Joe who's been gone. Holy cow. Um. Anyways, so Joe, who used to have a saying. For women who, women who were verbally abused or physically abused by their husbands, he never understood it. He used to say, why don't you just take a frying pan and whack him upside the head? <laughs> God love Yeah, him. she never did that. It was a playful hit on the butt with a cookie sheet. <laughs> oh, okay. See. Okay. So, so, okay. Playful hit with a cookie sheet. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There like, you go. Fake wrestling, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goofing around wrestling. Yeah, yeah, goofing around wrestling. You got hit with a coach. yeah, and I elbowed her in the boob, so she hit me in the butt with a. There you go. Okay, like that. That's what I'm talking about. Like a playful. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not talking playful. about. I'm not talking about anything serious. Yeah, we we're good. That's how I learned that if you elbow women in the boobs, it's like getting kicked in the nuts. Oh, it is. It hurts. Yeah, yeah. I found that out that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't think this woman was kidding around. <laughs> okay. We go to Vanita Park in Missouri, where a woman is charged after driving for miles with her husband on the hood of her car. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she forgot he was there. 
A Vanita Park woman is charged with felony assault after allegedly driving away from an argument and traveling for several miles with her husband still on the hood of her car. <laughs> sure, it'll happen, I guess. <laughs> Again, another woman in her 30s. I don't know what's what's in the what water this week. Yeah. I don't know. I don't what was know. in the water 30 years ago? I don't know. St. Louis County prosecutors on Friday charged 38-year-old Stephanie Boyd with first-degree domestic assault and resisting arrest by fleeing. Boy, did she ever. Uh, the court set bond at $100,000 cash only, and she is to have no contact with the victim if released. <laughs> I bet. Uh, in a news release, prosecutors say a Berkeley police investigation showed on September 28th, Boyd and her husband got into an argument at their home in Vanita Park. Uh, she then allegedly got in the car to leave and drove off with her husband on the hood. Now, why <laughs> in God's green, God's green earth do you... Do you actually get on top of the hood if you're her husband? If she wants to leave, let her leave. I was going to say, she's leaving. Let her go. You, you know, she'll come back. You can do whatever you want. Why jump on her car? That yeah. reminds me of that scene from uh, Police Academy. Yeah, yeah. Where where the, the it's Police Academy 2, I believe, mm -hmm. the, where the citizen's on patrol. Yeah. Where the wife does that. She jumps on the, the car. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why would you do that? Yeah, why would you bother? Why would you bother? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, 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 no. The investigation showed Boyd dro uh, drove toward Page Avenue and onto Interstate 170. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Which you better hang on for life. There's not a lot to hang on to on a hood. No, you just got that little lip right there on the hood that, that yeah. you can hold on to. Right. And the windshield wipers, and those aren't holding on for long. <laughs> uh, which she traveled on for 4.6 miles before exiting onto Airport Road. During the drive, she passed through a construction zone and drove recklessly <laughs> with her spouse on the hood. She never once thought, hey, I'm going to pull over. Like, I, okay, you got to go through the thinking of both these people. First, they get into an argument. Wife goes, I'm leaving. Husband's like, no, you're not. Jumps on the hood of car. Mm -hmm. Wife then decides, screw this guy. I'm still leaving. He'll let go. Yeah. After four point whatever miles, you don't decide, maybe I should pull over. He's not letting go. Oh, she was trying to shake him. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> then you decide, oh, I'm taking him through road construction. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to feel this. I'm going to yeah. hit every single bump <laughs> at high speed. An officer saw the vehicle pass him near the intersection of Airport Road and Whitewater Drive and attempted to uh, attempted a, tr a traffic stop at that point. Uh, police said Boyd did not pull over for another half mile. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no wonder she's in the clink. Yeah. Dear God. Well, there you go, women. If you uh, <laughs> if you need to, <laughs> if you feel the need to get rid of your husband, I don't know, put him on the hood of your car and go for a five mile drive. Tie, tie them on like a Christmas tree. There you go. Or a dead deer, one or the other. <laughs> Dear God. I, there's so much wrong with it. And there was no alcohol. There's got to be alcohol and drugs involved with it. Got to be. There's got to be something. It, it's just, uh, ugh, what a story. I have an even more horrific story for you. Really? More horrific than my wife driving six miles with me out of the car? Yeah, because this one's unexpected. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. Okay, we're going to Florida again, right. and we're going to the movies. Oh, okay. I like the movies. This one is not funny at all. This one has to do with a, a, a Florida moviegoer who is brutally beaten in a callous attack after asking a couple to move out of his VIP seats. 
Oh, so he, okay. He had he purchased, purchased the, Yep, he purchased those seats. Right, well in advance. Yeah. Somebody went and sat in the seats. He said, excuse me, I bought these VIP seats. These are, these are rightfully my seats. And was beaten. Oh, gosh. As a result. There's got to be other seats available, people. Right. A Florida moviegoer was brutal, brutally beaten after he was attacked by a man who was sitting in seats he had already reserved. 27-year-old Jesse Montez Thornton II was allegedly seen violently attacking 63-year-old Mark Cohen. He was an old guy, too. Yeah. At the AMC Theater in Pompano Beach, Florida, in a callous attack that was all caught on another customer's cell phone. Cohen was about to see a film along with his wife when he saw another couple sitting in their pre-assigned seats on July, back on July 10th. Man, they're big Barbie fans. I guess, right? I mean, that you gotta have just, that seat. I mean, you, you got to. You just got to. Uh, I, I mean, you buy the seats ahead of time. Yeah, that's what we used to do. We used to buy them all the time. Then, then you don't have to worry, but you can pick where you're going to sit. Hopefully, people don't sit next to you. Yeah, but I, you know, I've been in places like airplanes and stuff where you accidentally set someone's seats and oh you're in my seat they show your proof okay get up and move like it's no big deal yeah yeah it it, it, just horrific that you could you could you could take in and be beaten like that so the broward county sheriff's office released cell phone video of the altercation which captured Jesse Montez Thornton II violently attacking 63-year-old Mark Cohen at the AMC Theater in Pompano Beach on July 10th. Authorities say that Cohen told police that he bought VIP tickets that included advanced seating for the film for him and his wife. His fun movie date quickly took a turn for the worse when he noticed Thornton and another woman were sitting in his VIP seats. After asking them politely to move, police say that Thornton became hostile. Video footage of the interaction shows Thornton standing up and getting in Cohen's face, forcing him to take a step back and lose his balance on the theater steps. Seconds later, the interaction turns physical, with Thornton standing above Cohen and repeatedly punching him in the face. Wow. Yeah. All because he wanted the seats he paid for. Right. Video captures shocked witnesses quickly rushing to the victim's aid and removing the irate perpetrator. The sheriff's office called the attack callous, saying the victim suffered several injuries to his head and face and was taken to a hospital for treatment. Authorities say that Thornton and his and the woman he was with immediately fled the scene. On Thursday, authorities arrested Thornton in Fort Lauderdale after a two-month-long investigation. Thornton was transported to jail and faces one count of aggravated battery with great bodily harm. I mean, just... <laughs> Just crazy. And the thing that makes, like, is really upsetting about that is the guy that beat him up had to have tickets someplace for another seat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to sit in those seats and these are the seats you want, talk to the guy. I'm sure the guy will be like, oh, yeah, sure, I can, you know. Right. Right. We're getting to our not safe for work type ah. time of, of, of dumb crime, stupid criminals. And, uh, folks, I just want you to hold on to your seats because it's going to get wild and woolly here <laughs> for the next four stories, if you're ready for this. Oh, I'm ready. I love not for safe for work. Our first story has to do with a lawsuit. Okay. Um, now, Those mo- happen. Most, most people go to Walt Disney World hoping to have a fun time. Oh, yeah. 
Most people go on rides hoping to get a thrill. Yeah, yeah. This ride was far from a thrill. Okay. In fact, it, uh, let's just say it induced an injurious wedgie. <laughs> okay. Which makes some people laugh. But when you're on the other end of that injurious wedgie bruiser, it, it's not so fun. Oh, yeah. I've had my underwear pulled up more in my head. <laughs> I've had my underwear ripped. But I've also pulled people's underwear up over their head. We have to ask ourselves, what does injurious wedgie mean? I'm assuming, like, over the head with the band. You know what I mean? Like, mm. blood and poop and all that coming out. I guess. A woman is suing Walt Disney World for $50,000 over an injurious wedgie from the Typhoon Lagoon water slide. Oh, yeah, you go down those all the time, you get wedgies. <laughs> Male or female. <laughs> a woman has filed a lawsuit against Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, claiming that she reportedly suffered an injurious wedgie while riding an attraction at the theme park destination's Typhoon Lagoon water park years ago. According to the complaint obtained by People Magazine, the lawsuit was filed uh, last week in Orange County, Florida by Emma and Edward McGinnis. They just sound like they're too old to be on that ride. I was going to say, they sound like really old people. Yeah. The couple is seeking $50,000 in damages. They sound old because they sound like they asked for too little amount of money. I was going to say, how do you come up with $50,000? Like, if you're going to sue for something you know you're not going to win, just ask for like a million. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Emma's only 33 years old. So of course. <laughs> the sufferer of the wedgie. She alleges she suffered injuries during the couple's visit to the water park in October of 2019. Emma alleges that her injuries occurred on, is it Humunga Kawabunga, which is the slide that is approximately 214 feet above a pool? See, but I think the park's free and clear because when you enter the theme, a theme park, it says on there they're not responsible for injuries. Yes, you you assume risk and responsibility. Yeah, so yeah. she doesn't have a case. Well, you would think. Right. Here's the quote. The impact of the slide and Emma's impact into the standing water at the bottom of the slide caused Ms. McGinnis's clothing to be painfully forced between her legs and for water to be violently forced inside her, says the complaint. She experienced immediate and severe pain internally, and as she stood up, blood began rushing from between her legs. She was transported to a local hospital by ambulance for medical care and treatment, and eventually transported to another hospital for the repair of her gynecologic injuries by a specialist. That's what the complaint oh. says. Oh, yeah. she ripped. <laughs> yeah. She got torn. Yeah. Alan Wagner, the attorney who filed the suit, wrote in the filing that while Emma was aware there were risks that could occur while on the attraction, the slide carries with it specific risks about which Disney knew or in the exercise of reasonable care should have known. Wagner added, these risks are not disclosed by Disney to its guests and were not disclosed to Miss McGinnis. Uh if you go on this ride, you might rip your taint. <laughs> I think it was a little more forward than the taint. I think it was too, but yeah. I'm not going to say yeah, you yeah, got sliced. Yeah. Uh, due to the risks that they're claiming are considered unreasonable expectations for consumers to anticipate, Wagner and the McGinnises or McGinnis couple rather said the slide was unsafe and unreason unreasonably dangerous to Miss McGinnis 
and other patrons because it failed to meet the expectations of a reasonable consumer, including Miss McGinnis. The Typhoon Lagoon water park was first opened in 1989. In 1995, the Disney property added a second water park, which is Blizzard Beach. A spokesperson for Walt Disney World did not immediately respond to people's requests for comment. Uh, I still think it's right at your own risk. I, I agree. You should know you're going down a slide at high speeds. At 214 you know? feet. Yeah. Yeah. But this is why we have warning labels and stuff that are stupid. Like the lawnmower, a warning label on lawnmower says, do not cut your hair. Yeah. Like, that means somebody actually tried to cut their hair with a freaking lawnmower. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, somebody attempted it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a jet ski says water may be forced into orifices of the body. Yeah. It, maybe they need to start putting that warning on a, a water slide because people just don't – common sense is gone. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of riding at your own risk, a married pilot, <laughs> I think, either had the best time ever or it was the most injurious time ever. <laughs> Let's find out more. A married pilot snorts cocaine off a topless woman in a booze-fueled romp before a flight. <laughs> I smell an arrest coming. I do, too, because I don't think they're allowed to do that before they fly. No. A British Airways pilot was suspended and eventually fired after he was reported for drinking and using cocaine the night before a return flight to London. Well, if you had to go to London, you'd do that, too. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, Mike Beaton, a pilot with British Airways, had a night off after a flight to Johannesburg last month. I didn't know you could get all that in Johannesburg. I didn't know that either. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, so he had a night off after a flight to Johannesburg last month that he used to indulge in large amounts of alcohol and snort cocaine off the chest of a topless woman, <laughs> according to a report from the New York Post. You got to go get your hookers and blow. Uh, I guess so. I don't think his wife would agree with it, however. And you're not supposed to do it off their chest. You're supposed to do it off their ass. Well, you tell him that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I will. Uh, maybe he was a little uh, concerned about getting Dookie in the cokey. <laughs> just saying. Uh, Beaton, a married father of one, according to the report, revealed his night of antics to a fellow crew member before a return flight to London, telling her that he had been a very naughty boy during an exchange of text messages. Worst place. You could tell that story, by the way, that's where you just keep it to yourself till you yep. get to where you're going. That's right. The pilot reportedly told the flight attendant in the text exchange that he had met two local men, a Welsh woman and a young Spanish bird at a Johannesburg nightclub the night before. A young Spanish bird is a young Spanish woman, by the way. Oh, okay. That's yeah. English, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah bird is, is, is English for girl. Uh, at a Johannesburg nightclub the night before when they engaged in hours of drinking and eventually found themselves at one of the men's apartment. Welsh has decided that I should actually be her boyfriend. Spanish has hooked up with one of the two local lads and is having her... Mm-hmm. sucked on their sofa, the, the, the place where they decided to do the blow. <laughs> Beaton told his fellow crew member. Uh, the pilot continued to boast that the girls were dancing topless when someone arrived with cocaine, leading them to take a bump of the drug himself. I lost my shirt somewhere, and one of the local lads produced a plate with a few lines of coke, Beaton said. So then there's a debate about whose chest is the best to do a bump off of. 
Because that's a common debate. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're just sitting there and, well, obviously someone's got to produce some tits to do a bump of, a bump off of. So who's going to. That doesn't happen at your parties where you're just like, oh, hey, you got nice tits. Let's do a bump of Coke off of it. Generally, I'm the one who provides the tits for the the, the Coke. So, you know, <laughs> just say it. Uh, that's the story of how I ended up snorting Coke off a of girl's tits in Joburg. He continued. <laughs> I love how he's like so happy telling the story. Oh, yeah. First of all, he's telling it to a coworker, so this is sexual harassment. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, it's a female coworker who's probably not as impressed as a male coworker. Would no, be. <laughs> no. Uh, the pilot went on to explain that he'd stayed the night with Welsh. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out if this is abbreviated. It says her for ages it says speculating that his use of cocaine may have played a part in the activities adding that he was then so effed i couldn't even lift my head until gone too hmm okay so i think he wasn't uh, quite ready to fly we'll put yeah, it that I way i think yeah. he could fly a plane yeah when the pilot tried to fly the following day the crew member reported his wild night out to the airline causing british airways to delay the 12-hour flight to heathrow airport in london costing the airline a reported hundred and twenty thousand dollars how pissed would you be if you're a uh passenger on that plane and, and all they tell they always it's always mechanical yes. it's always mechanical yeah yeah, yeah. But in this case, if you would have found out, no, it's because your pilot went and was doing hookers and blow the night before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, your pilot's pissed up, so we can't take off. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just got word from the tower. Uh, we'll be delayed another four hours because your pilot is uh, currently snipping cocaine off a Welsh woman's breasts. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for flying British Airways. <laughs> that was kind of pleasant. I would I would have took that. Yeah. <laughs> I would be like, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> I know. Like, see, and that's how we think. But like I said, you're telling to a female coworker, she's not going to think it's cool. No, no, no. Uh, speaking to the son, a British Airways source said that the behavior of the pilot stunned the airline. Of all the bad behavior that goes down on or goes on down route between flights, this incident is hard to believe, the source told the outlet. A first officer is trained rigorously and knows the law inside out. Their remit is protecting the safety of passengers. The idea is of sending details of his drink and drug session to a stewardess between flights is extraordinarily dumb, the source added. Calling them a stewardess is probably dumber. Yeah, you can't do that nowadays. <laughs> yeah. They're flight uh, attendants. Yeah. Beaton was reportedly suspended while still in Johannesburg and flown back to London as a passenger on another flight. Once there, he tested positive for the cocaine and was fired. He will never fly again, the airline, 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 okay. airline source uh, told The Sun. Uh, who confirmed with the airline that the pilot no longer works for the company. Breach for comment by Fox News Digital, a spokesperson for British Airways, confirmed that the pilot no longer works for the airline while stressing that at no time was the safety of British Airways passengers at risk. So there you go. Do you think they made him fly back on the flight he was supposed to fly? <laughs> so, like, the stewardess <laughs> could be walking going... That's the guy right there for your delay. <laughs> so they could shame him. Shame, shame, right shame. Right here. Yeah. It's a 12-hour flight. That's the guy that's causing you to be delayed. That's right. That's what I'd do. I would, too. Yeah. Speaking of shame, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. A serial sex offender is caught half-naked after creeping near a kitty park in Virginia. Kitty is in kids or kitty is in 
cat. Kitty as in kids. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, I know. Put your damn clothes on. If you're ready for this one. Uh, the man behind a series of sex offenses plaguing a Virginia park where children frequent was arrested creeping near the area and then trying to run away half naked. <laughs> You're not going to get very far half naked. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me he's pleading guilty. If I see a half naked guy run past me, I'm automatically pointing in the direction he is because someone's probably chasing him. That's right. 35-year-old Felix Antonio Mejas Virgil was spotted by a surveillance camera pacing around Franconia Park on Thursday evening, according to the Fairfax County Police Department. Virgil fit the description of the serial sex offender who had been exposing himself at the park throughout July and September. Uh, so Franconia and Mount Vernon police rushed to the scene, cops said. As I never got why people get, <coughs> excuse me, there's thrills out of just flashing your junk, like... You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't get it. No, I don't either. As Virgil tried to flee, he began stripping and throwing his clothes in the woods. <laughs> so throw him off my scent. <laughs> sure. I, I, one last thrill, I guess. Who knows? Maybe they'll think I exploded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We got his underwear, his shirt, his pants. He's gone. He just blew up. Taken by aliens. Yep. Uh, Virgil of Fairfax was quickly arrested with the top layer of his clothes gone. What, they can't handcuff you then? (laughs) Uh, Police believe Virgil may have been behind several sex offenses, including public masturbations that were reported at or near the park, which is home to the Chessie's Big Backyard Children's Playground. Throw the book at him. Throw the key away. Uh, Over the summer, police recorded an incident where a man appeared to be masturbating in public on Telegraph Road, which is also adjacent to the VHBC preschool. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then July 28th, a call came in about a sex offender conducting indecent liberties with a minor at a nearby Virginia Hills swim club. The sex offender also struck again twice at the same spot on Telegraph Road on September 19th and 22nd. In addition, the suspect appeared to masturbate in public September 22nd on Diana Lane, a short road that leads in the Virginia Hills School. Virgil was charged with two counts of indecent liberties with a child under 15, four counts of actual or simulated masturbation in public, and false identification to law enforcement. He's being held at the Adult Detention Center without bail. Good. Lock him up. Throw away the key. That's right. I got this story from a listener. We reported on the story a while back. Okay. And I don't remember if we did this on Supernatural News or if we did it here. I figured I'd put it here because I, I don't know if this is if this is a crime, if it's cheating, or if it's a crime against humanity. Okay. A chess grandmaster, Hans Niemann, denies using sex toys to win... There's absolutely oh, sex toys. Okay. Yes. I, I, we had the story of the yogurt guy. No, this guy used anal beads in order to win <laughs> vibrating <laughs> anal beads in order to win chess master matches. Do you remember this or was, was Mally on when we did this? Story? I think Mally was on, but I know this was a, um, episode from it's always sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> where, where Charlie gets, uh, uh, Danny DeVito's character Frank to join a chess tournament 
And the way that he'd do is he'd like signal him and stuff. Well, then Charlie gets kicked out and he's like, well, how do I get signaled? I, I need to be signaled. And they're like, we can do a vibration thing. Mm-hmm. So they go and they buy anal beads that you can control with your phone. Right. So, so they... It's just it's one of the funniest scenes because he's sitting there and he's like, oh, oh, and the vibration. Head, oh, and he has well, sometimes real life mirrors say, TV. Real life imitates art. The 20 year old prodigy rejected claims that he had used anal beads while playing chess during an interview with Piers Morgan. 20 year old hey, Piers, you want to take a look at my asshole? Come on, come take a look at my asshole. <laughs> look, I ain't cheating. Nothing's been in there. Only, only out. Says out. That's it. <laughs> 20-year-old chess prodigy Hans Niemann denies using a sex toy to beat opponents. <laughs> that just sounds bad. Yeah, it does. In an interview with Piers Morgan on the show, Piers Morgan Uncensored Monday, uh, the young grandmaster was asked if he ever used anal beads while playing. He told the 58-year-old host, I can tell you no, categorically, or categorically no, there's absolutely no evidence that I've ever cheated. Neiman is at the center of a cheating scandal that has rocked the chess world since 2022. I know you're all concerned about that uh, when he was accused of cheating to win games by fellow player Magnus Carlson. According to a report from CNN, online theories subsequently uh, spread accusing the player of using vibrating anal beads during his match, (laughs) alleging he used the beads to receive signals in order to guide him on the plays he should make. These allegations originated from social media, although it's not clear what their specific source was, the outlet reported. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's the source. (laughs) Yeah. It's very disheartening to be accused of cheating after that victory. These things happen, and I managed to learn a lot during that time, and it really taught me a lot of very important lessons about life and chess, Neiman added to Morgan. Last year, Neiman filed a lawsuit against world chess champion Magnus Carlsen, among others, claiming he had been defamed and that they had unlawfully colluded to blacklist him from the profession to which he has dedicated his life. My lawsuit speaks for itself, he wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter in October of 2022, while sharing a copy of the suit. However, his $100 million case was dismissed by a judge in 2023. Uh, Lawyers for chess.com subsequently told the outlet, we're very pleased with the court order uh, dismissing Hans Niemann's claims. Uh, Our clients are happy to see an end to the saga and are pleased that all parties can now focus on on growing the game of chess as opposed to shoving beads up your ass. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I put that part in there. Um, I didn't have any anal beads. They don't taste good. Yeah, exactly. They're horrible when you lick them. Um, <laughs> and our last story today, Bruiser. Okay. Go from the anal beads that vibrate to chest to where? To Hialeah, Florida. Of course. Where a nude Hialeah man screams, it's my birthday today, after touching himself in a hot tub, according to police. <laughs> but it's his birthday. (laughs) Of course we were going here on the not safe for work edition of dumb crime, stupid criminal. We go to Key Largo, Florida, where a Hialeah man was in his birthday suit on his birthday at a resort in the Florida Keys. This according to deputies and what he's accused of doing in a hot tub has landed him in hot water with the law. (laughs) It's a birthday. Get your birthday suit. Well, Authorities. I wouldn't go in a hot tub naked anyways. You know all the crap that's in there? Well, like a public one? Yeah, most people don't know that, though. I mean, they just assume, you know, ooh, bubbly water. It must be clean. Ooh, human soup. 
<laughs> I know. Authorities arrested Julio Daniel Rodriguez Coipel on Monday. Coipel on Monday on a warrant related to the August 20th incident, according to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. MCSO spokesperson Adam Linhart said Rodriguez Coipel was in the buff just before 7:25 a.m. In the boy, he was taking a morning tub. Yeah. 7.25 a.m. in the hot tub at well, the... Well, birthday's excited. Boy, was he ever. Yeah. Yeah. 7.25 a.m. in the hot tub at the Playa Resort and Spa, located at 97450 Overseas Highway in Key Largo, when witnesses saw him expose and touch himself in view of a female employee. Ah, okay. Yes. Hey, at- baby, it's my birthday. That doesn't work, by the way, for all you creeps out there. <laughs> He didn't just say it. Oh, he showed her too. He yelled it. Are you ready for this? I'm about to reenact it, Bruiser. After a male employee confronted Rodriguez Coipel, he screamed, It's my birthday today! And ran towards US 1 before driving back to Miami Dade County. Wait, ran ran out naked, jumped to the car, and drove to Miami. Okay. Sure. According to deputies, it was, in fact, the suspect's birthday. He turned 34 that day. What is it with being in your mid-30s and being a freak? (laughs) Linhart said authorities issued an arrest warrant after witnesses identified Rodriguez Coipel as a suspect, and he was booked into the Monroe, Monroe County Jail Monday on a charge of indecent exposure. He was later released from jail, and records don't indicate a future court date as of Tuesday afternoon. Maybe they're waiting for his birthday so he can show up in court naked and yell, <laughs> It's my birthday today! <laughs> and he can jerk off in the, in the judge's face. It's my birthday, judge. Winky, winky. By the way, if you want to know what a guy who jerks off in a hot tub looks like, he looks like that. He's so happy. He is happy. It's my birthday today. It's my birthday. I'm in jail. (laughs) I'm in jail. (laughs) Meanwhile, some very, very large man comes in and goes, by the way, it's your birthday today. (laughs) And he goes, no. Hey, man, I heard your birthday today. Why don't you bend over and let me give you some birthday treat? No, leave me alone. (laughs) It's not my birthday today. How old are you, little man? 34? Well, here's 34 pumps for you. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll spit before I get in there. (laughs) I just got done training a chess master. I don't know if you heard about that, but (laughs) I I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I used to vibrate four for yes and five for no. (laughs) And it wasn't even his birthday. This is your birthday, so I'm going to make sure you're good and taken care of. It's my birthday today. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, That's my new goal. My next birthday, I'm just going to walk around naked. <laughs> it's my In birthday my house. today. It's, and y'all, it's my birthday. Ziggy and Tally get a kick out of that. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> they get worried when I'm naked. They think I'm, like, they, in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> they think you're having a stroke. Yeah, you want motivation to go to the gym, have a dog watch you change. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, I got to go to the gym. You're right, Ziggy. 
It looked like I'm melting. Oh my god! <laughs> it looked like I'm melting. I'll be all panicky and worried, and I get my clothes on. And I'm like, oh, you're good. You're cool. Like, I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. Come on. It's my birthday today, doggy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the vibrating anal beads. I'm going to go play chess now. <laughs> <laughs> you want to play? <laughs> no. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we know he told you to silence your cell phones, but someone keeps ringing every time this guy tries to make a decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, well that'll do it for dumb crime stupid criminals for today any any birthdays in the house naked guy yeah your birthday (laughs) yeah it's my birthday today (laughs) want to remind you guys miranda's victim comes out october 6th in theaters and on demand be sure to uh check out the movie abigail breslin ryan Phillippe, luke wilson emily van camp many others Donald Sutherland. Cast. Yeah. Huge cast. Yep. Be sure to check it out. We have a link in the description. Nice. Be sure to check it out. Uh, Bruiser, you got a busy weekend or are you? Uh, I do. Busy? I'm uh, just got done with a show last Sunday. Now we're gearing up for another show Friday, October 6th at the wrestling training center. It's called future stars of wrestling. It's a, uh, a couple of my students are performing, but it's like the future of AML and uh, tickets are discounted price. Go to amlwrestling.com to buy them. And while you're there, visit the training section. Come train with me. Very cool. Yeah, I'm producing the show again, and it'll be a lot of fun. Very cool. I like working with the young kids. They're not young kids, but the students. They uh, yeah. yeah. You can see their eagerness and their willingness to learn and that drive that I once used to have. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, it's my birthday! No, um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so you'll be naked playing chess? Yes, I'll you? be naked with anal beats playing chess. Uh, no, no, uh, this Saturday, KNSI. I'll be up at KNSI. So that's, that's okay. all I got going on. So that's it. And uh, watching the Gophers getting killed by Michigan. Oh, yeah, that's gonna have, that's a slaughter weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be slaughter weekend. Uh, Vikings, Chiefs, uh, Gophers, Michigan. I do. I went right off the Vikings with the Chiefs. The Chiefs last night, man. <sighs> Mahomes needs a regular receiver to throw to. Oh, he'll have Jefferson, by uh, I'm sure, by the end of the uh, year. Oh, can you imagine? That'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm sure J.J. will be tired of this team. Soon, soon enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when his quarterback's thrown to the other team. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that tomorrow. Ziggy's picks tomorrow on Supernatural News. Talia was insane with those. <laughs> yeah, Ziggy didn't do too bad either this week. No, the pups yeah. separating them and putting them in their separate places, yep. like you said, that, yep. uh, that amped it up. That's right. So, uh, pups did pretty well this week. Uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, we've got those uh, results tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. So football talk tomorrow. Uh, among other things, we've got some interesting supernatural stories for you tomorrow. So that's all coming up tomorrow on Darkness Radio. In the meantime, I want to thank you so much for listening to today's True Crime Tuesday. And thank you so much for being a patron of True Crime Tuesday. Thank you so much for doing that. And a reminder to get your... Uh, 
your dumb crime, stupid criminal stories and your parashare stories in. To do that, uh, just send them into Tim at darknessradio.com with the parashare stories. If you want to submit a voice note, you can do it by going to darknessradioshow.com, clicking on that blue button on the right-hand side. You've got two minutes in order to do that. Uh, if you need more time, just click on that blue button a second time and you will have two additional minutes to do that i'll stitch those two two minute uh stories together or those two two minute segments together we'll make a four minute story i know you know addition because i learned it in school so (laughs) but that'll do it for today for beer city bruiser i'm tim dennis thank you so much for joining us today on true crime tuesday we'll see you tomorrow folks